Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to The Golden Berries, a literal roundtable awards ceremony where we recognize the movies we saw or the people we met through the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Jason Daphnis, your co-host and producer. And in this corner, we have the shake of the take, Harry Mackin. Out of order. Wow. But I'm so honored to be listed first. Thank you so much, Jason. Happy to be here. Happy to be ranking with you today. And in this corner, we have the Sultan of the Summary, Aaron Grossman. Ooh, I'm gonna win. Ooh, I'm gonna win. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. I do not believe that this is a competition, uh, Aaron, but I do admire your energy. Uh, And in this corner, we have Cody, the noty nobility himself. Cody, tell us how you're doing. Golden berries, golden berries, golden berries, golden berries, boom, 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 rock me golden berries. That is your answer, and it's definitive for posterity. (laughs) The second annual Golden Berries uh, will kick off with our picks in a minute, but we wanted to uh, get ahead of, you know, how weird and strange it's been to put together this show because it was a time to reflect on how weird and strange the whole year has been in terms of uh, the trial programming and how we put this together. But um, yeah, I don't know exactly what really we want to say. I guess preface it by saying that some of the movies we cover uh, will be ones that we watched outside of the trial programming midsummer there. Uh, and some of them will be um, ones that we didn't actually see in the theater, of course, but, you know, disclaimers, all disclaimers, disclaimers all around. Yeah. Right. I mean, we talked about that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Back in, uh, was that March or April that we talked to John about the future of the Trilon in the time of coronavirus? End of March, I think. Man, that's wild. It's so weird. It feels like it's been five years and also two months. uh, Because what is time when you're just in an apartment all the time? Um, But yeah, uh, suffice it to say, we have some different categories this year because um, we're doing one about specifically the the movies that we watched sort of our of our own accord when the trilon was closed um we have some that like jason said we didn't actually uh watch at the trilon uh that's every one of the movies we watched after like march right um and so like a lot of things it's going to be kind of a weird one but uh we wanted to do a golden berries anyway because we liked making last one so much um and because we still need to celebrate having a podcast even if the institution that the podcast is a about is not open currently. Uh, yeah, we did not. We did not consider this in our business proposition. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, just to, you know get expect. Excuse me. Lay lay down the expectations for this episode. Um, we had, like Harry said, a lot of fun putting this together last year. You'll notice some recurring themes and uh, returning categories, but updated for 2020. Um, and I guess, I guess we never really formalized what the cutoff was, but maybe mid November or so was like cutoff for nominations. Did we ever decide that? Or are we 
scrapping that entirely. No, there's just this very strange little uh, like negative zone in that's like vaguely the last three weeks of December where uh, unfortunately movies, including the best movie that we watched last year, Paris, Texas, uh, are not qualified for either the 2019 Golden Berries or the 2020 Golden Berries. Listen, we're uh, you may have noticed if you haven't noticed by now, let me fill you in. We're not professionals um, necessarily, I would say. We have a a lot of experience now. I think Jason is actually legitimately a professional, professional. uh, our amateurs. And so we don't actually have like a formalized process for this. Um, Justice for Paris, Texas, justice for Harry Dean Stanton, et cetera. So if your favorite movie uh, premiered at the trial on, on December 30th, uh, it's not going to be included here. Um, And that's That's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. It's been a rough year. If that's the worst thing that happened to you this year, you know, you're doing a you're doing a great job. So, uh, yeah, at Paris, Texas, unfortunately, it exists in a liminal space. It is a, an honorary, uh, maybe an honorary Golden Berries member, but is not eligible this year, unfortunately, for Harry. Sorry, but honorable both Harrys. Honorable mention. Yeah, both Harrys deserve your pity. Um, if that is our last bit of, I guess, preface, we can dive right into the categories as far as I'm concerned. Anybody else have thoughts before we dig in? Let's hit it. All right. Hit it. So starting off with uh, individual pickies, we're going to start with Aaron. What were your favorite films uh, that we saw the trial on this year? Yeah. So uh, very specifically the picks for this one, these are just kind of individual favorites. Uh, we decided that we would uh, have anything eligible that we saw at the Trilon, but any film that we saw on our own time or that we record an episode on that didn't play at the Trilon is not eligible here. Um, so just real quickly, kind of going down, these are not in like a ranked order for me personally, uh, but I think that my favorite films that I saw at the Trilon in 2020, uh, I think the, the first one I would bring up would be Hard Target. Uh, just had a great one that is just maybe one of the most fun times I've had in a theater uh, in a long time. Just all the fellas enjoying this John Woo action movie, uh, eating snacks, hanging out in the back row, uh, just having a good time. Hard target. And I also think it's a, a genuinely great action movie. Uh, After Hours, uh, I think the first Mart- and only Martin Scorsese film uh, we've talked about uh, on this podcast. Uh, a very good one, maybe not upper tier Scorsese, but a very good film. I think we dug into that one well in the episode. Uh, Pitfall uh, as well. Teshi Gahara's Pitfall, uh, 1962 film. Uh, Maybe my favorite movie we saw uh, at the Trilon. Uh, A lot of that is, we'll get into this later, but I think the timing of when I saw that uh, kind of influenced my thoughts on it. Um, Really love that movie. Uh, Sad that I did not get to see Woman in the Dunes. Uh, Also Ganja and Hess. We'll talk about that one a lot more later in the episode. Kind of no surprise there on why that one uh, is on my top five. Uh, And then lastly, I think I am probably the only other person. Yes, I'm I'm the only person to love uh, to live and die in L.A. as much as uh, I do. I think other people like that movie. I loved that movie, really connected with its uh, nihilism and uh, kind of hatred for its subjects uh, in a way that I maybe can't necessarily defend, but uh, in a way that I never, nevertheless love very much. So Hard Target, After Hours, Pitfall, Ganja, and Hess, and To Live and Die in L.A. are my favorite movies from the Trilon in 2020. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Cody. Wow, great list uh, from Aaron. I will go through. I'm going to – I didn't rank mine last year, if if my memory is uh, 
serving me correctly because I'm a big coward. Uh, I ranked them this year. Uh, so going from five to one, um, number five for me is hard target for a lot of the same reasons that Aaron specified. Um, we saw it in February, which feels like a whole damn lifetime ago, uh, but it is probably one of my favorite memories from this past year, not even just tying it to movie watching, but uh, seeing that with the fellas and kind of everybody um, like uh, collectively understanding this weird sort of meta language that uh, John Woo movies and hard target brought forth uh, with such a great feeling. Um, and that movie is so much fun. Um, Ganjin Hess is my number four. Uh, we've spent more time on this uh, podcast talking about Ganjin Hess than maybe anything else. Um, so I won't uh, talk a lot about it here, but everybody involved with that movie is of legend status as far as I can say. Um, and I'm so glad that movie exists. Um, same goes for Son of the White Mare, which is my number three. Um, I think I said it uh, during our episode of it or something along these lines, but movies like Son of the White Mare are uh, among the main reasons why I love the Trilon, um, you know, kind of diamonds in the rough, which isn't even necessarily correct, um, but just making sure that art like this is, uh, that is typically criminally underviewed is shown um and i hope this gets a physical release um sometime in the very near future um no news on that uh, at the as of uh, the time of this recording but fingers crossed um number two for me is the french connection um that's a film that i've loved for years and um you know getting together with the guys to talk about it as well as a bunch of other william friedkin films um definitely helped uh, contextualize some things for me even better and i love this film even more than i did before which is uh, obviously a great outcome to to draw from this little endeavor of ours and number one for me for the year is close up um which we did not record on but um that was another early in the year 2020 movies or movie that uh, i saw um, i saw it with harry um, it set an unbelievably high bar for a year that trended in the opposite direction. Um, I'm simultaneously excited and equally intimidated to watch the rest of Kurostami's filmography um, because they are such gargantuan works. Uh, Close Up for me is maybe the biggest example of that, um, but that movie uh, rips in uh, and that's saying something in a year that did not rip. Couldn't have said it better myself, Cody. Harry, bring us home. Well, you're going to bring us home because you're going to do your picks too. Uh, okay. Well, I, I am home, so. Sure, you're already home. We're all already home. Man, makes you think. Uh, okay, so I too ranked mine, although I've been wavering back and forth. I literally just changed my fifth uh, pick, which was Sorcerer as sort of a stand-in for all of the Friedkin movies, which I love, so sorry, honorary mention. But my number five is The Killer, um, the John Woo movie. It was the first John Woo movie that was shown. Uh, we actually, uh, because we're privileged little assholes, uh, we were able to get a private screening at the Trilon sort of in advance to check out the print with John and the Cult Film Collective, including Sarah. Shout outs to those two. Uh, it was late, later than we usually watch movies at the Trilon, and it was just us in the theater. Uh, the, um, the print of The Killer is fantastic. It's like red and slowly turning redder and that was just like a really great way to start off my year it sort of directly led into our appreciation for the movies like hard target which i agree uh was one of my other favorite experiences in a theater this year partially because i didn't have as many as usual but mostly because it was a great experience um my number four was the seventh seal um 
like I noted on the episode itself, I was really surprised by that one. Uh, it's way more humorous and more human and more approachable than I had thought that something as prestigious and sort of um, austere in its reputation as the Seventh Seal would be. Um, I don't know why that was quite as surprising to me as it was, but it but it really was, and it made me really excited to watch even more Bergman movies. Um, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, number three was Woman in the Dunes. Uh, we saw all of um, or almost all of Teshigahara's movies this year. Um, and I liked all of them to different extents. I really liked Pitfall, which I saw with Aaron. That was the last movie we saw before the Trilon closed, actually, um, for the first time back in March. Uh, but Woman in the Dunes um, is sort of a, it's it's like an interesting culmination of Teshigahara's work, in my opinion. In a lot of ways, it, it codifies his sort of particular um, pessimism and, life philosophy uh vis-a-vis like existentialism and anti-capitalism um and like seventh seal it was much more human than i thought it would be um it's much more nuanced in its portrayals of the characters in it than i thought a movie that has a reputation for being as sort of um didactic and polemic as that one tends to uh particularly the eponymous woman in the dunes is really interesting in that movie um and it's just beautiful um it's very long uh, but there are also bugs in it. I'm into it. I don't know. It's a really good movie. Um, number two is Ganjin Hess. Um, like Aaron said, we're going to talk about it a lot, but I think I should mention that uh, obviously we're predisposed to really like that movie, given the experience that we had this year. Um, I think it would be on my list either way, uh, because I, I just I find it um, really radical and artistic in a magical way, and particularly the restoration and the fact that it's like lost history that is restored, that we get to experience, and that is recontextualized, and we get to understand the artists who are making it and their genius better than ever before um, through its viewing. That's like what repertory cinema is like all about for me, um, and I really adore that movie and uh, its soundtrack and the people involved with it, and uh, it's great. Um, which is maybe that sounds like number one, but, uh, I would like to echo Cody's pick and say that close up actually was my number one. Um, speaking of what repertory cinema is all about, I think close up is the best movie I've ever seen that explains what movies are about. Probably. Uh, it's a, it's a really wonderful and to sort of like bring my theme home human movie, uh, that's, that's unbelievably tender and unbelievably interested in, uh, like restorative justice and compassion and understanding people rather than um, like it punishing them or rather than judging them. Um, and it does that through this sort of like restorative lens of cinema itself and role-playing. And um, it's just like a really almost like life-changingly beautiful movie. And uh, I have since watched a couple of uh, Kirostami's other films, uh, Taste of Cherry, which we didn't see, but was in the, at the Trilon and um, Certified Copy, which I didn't, uh, neither of which I like quite as much as Close Up, but both of which I would rank among some of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, so Kirostami has quickly become one of my favorite directors. Uh, and that's really exciting. Um, so all that is to say that, that even in a weird year like this, uh, Keeping up with the Trilon has been an unbelievably enriching experience for me. So that's great. Um, And those are my five picks. Thank you very much, Harry. Uh, My year, obviously, everybody's year was strange. My year started off with, uh, obviously, some out time when I was out of the country and then starting a new job. And then hot off of that, of course, lockdown and the coronavirus pandemic. So my viewing habits are 
were less strong than I would have liked this year. To hey, be completely sorry, fine. Jason, real quick. Uh, where did you go when you were out of town? Uh, I went outside the United States. Um, so my five favorite films that I saw this year as part of the Trilons programming uh, were, and I tried to pull from as many disparate areas of their programming as possible, but using the feel above all, rather than trying to analyze too much what I liked or why I liked, I threw them down on paper and then see if I saw if I could justify them. No particular order. Uh, I really enjoyed watching Son of the White Mare for many of the same reasons. I'm really glad to see that it appeared on uh, one other list this year. Um, that is from episode, oh geez, I'm trying to pull up the number. Uh, from episode, sorry, episode 82. Thank you so much. Featuring very special guest and one quarter of the cult film collective, Sarah CMB Huskin, who joined us for that episode. Uh, and I just love how like one, I love to see, you love to see animation at the trial on. Um, it has happened only a few times and I feel like I wanted to make sure that that was represented, uh, in the best ofs. Uh, and two, it's just a very, like, kind of like how, uh, Harry felt about, um, the seventh seal. It was, it was opaque to me. I had sort of my preconceptions of it and it was just a lot more joyful loose and entertaining than i could have ever hoped and i think we really got somewhere with that movie and discussing it with sarah um sorcerer uh was the william friedkin film that made me feel most uncomfortable which is uh not which is saying something given his films i was a complete uh newbie to his oeuvre completely and really enjoyed all of the films that we got to watch as part of the trilon series but sorcerer i uh, i will forever remember many many specific scenes from that where uh, i feel like a lot of the other films that i've seen have either been referenced excuse me a lot of the other freaking movies i saw have either been referenced in other things or you know that i'll see gifts of here in there the fact that sorcerer is such a like completely unique contained experience as a movie uh made it way more impactful in my mind um and so it, it, it takes a spot uh after hours for this a lot of the same reasons that um that aaron loved it i it's a perfect gonna be a perfect midnight movie i never stay up for movies at midnight but i know i'm gonna watch this one someday at midnight uh it is very frenetic it's again like a large part of why i enjoyed of why these movies made my list was because of how I felt after talking about them. And that's one where I felt like there was something to talk about. And then we talked about it and we really went places. It's uh, I, I re-listened to the episode in preparation for the berries. And I really love where we ended up with that movie. Um, then uh, black, black magic two was played during, or sorry, didn't play actually. Was it, was it part of the programming or was it just one of the recommendations from the trilogue? It was part of the programming. It black okay. magic two played with uh, one other, uh, kind of oh yes the hong kong the hong kong film excuse me horror film festival yes so uh that was the small series that it was part of um and uh i think we talked about this on the episode that we recorded about it but we watched both black magic one and two just for context because we couldn't had time it is one of the few times that we've been able to watch a movie all together for this all as part of one group gathering uh which was obviously an incredible part of the experience but even aside from that talking about it and watching it was much needed in 2020 when you know i just sort of turn every other part of my brain off that doesn't say we and just enjoy what I'm seeing. Uh, and even given that, I think what like we had like really interesting, smart things to say about that movie, um, such as the source material was Harry. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to point out real quick how funny it is and great that uh, the Trilon only played Black Magic 2, which is like the wild pervert movie of the Black Magic series. I mean, they both are, but the like first one pretty pervy. pervy. The Black Magic yeah. 2 goes fucking off the walls, though. So it's like it's like really great in like a, a punk pirate type way that the Trilon was like, that's the one. 
And I'm so glad they brought it uh, because I guarantee it's one film that I would not have ever. It probably maybe landed on my letterbox watch list for a couple of years before I finally like ignored it or forgot about it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, episode 88 of our podcast was about the film Ganja and Hess, which recently got a restoration and has been making the rounds. And of course, the Trilon felt it was important to show it uh, there. And we. Holy hell, that movie was like, it's clear in a way my my favorite of the year uh, for a lot of reasons. It is obviously historically important. It is genuinely terrifying. It was another one that was a complete blind pull for me. Uh, and now I feel like I'm very, very intimately close with what that movie is doing and sort of like the history of that movie. Um, and I never would have had the opportunity to do it if the trial line hadn't played it. And if we weren't so doggedly on our game about following their programming and, and doing what we could to to bring some attention to to the, I guess, the less visible parts of their programming. Um, so I was really grateful, not only for the, the Trilon, uh, you know, picking that up and playing it, but for the opportunities that were created by, uh, you know, us having this, this show and us making this, this cute little podcast of ours. Um, so that's my top five, no particular order. Uh, I would encourage anybody to go back and listen to those episodes. If you've seen the movies and of course, see the movies themselves. All right. Uh, I think I'm not the one to introduce this next segment of ours. Yeah, I, I can take it away. Uh, yes, the next segment, and I guess the first official award of the proceedings, uh, is Best Try Love in the Time of Corona movie. So we ba, had ba, ba, ba. Ba, 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 ba. we had a number of movies uh, that we watched and put out episodes on while the Trilon was kind of on hiatus, uh, as to be expected, uh, kind of near the beginning or near the middle uh, of coronavirus. Um, so the movies that we recorded on in this fashion are, uh, well, first we, we started out by interviewing, uh, John Moret, a film programmer of the Trilon, interviewing him just about coronavirus and the situation facing, um, not just large movie theaters, but smaller, uh, movie theaters like the Trilon itself. Uh, we recorded on Contagion, we recorded on Inside Man, His Motorbike, Her Island, Total Recall, 12 Monkeys. Uh, we recorded an episode about our experience uh, seeing a talk that Bong Joon-ho gave at The Walker. Uh, we recorded on Cabaret, Rebels of the Neon God, Shogun Assassin, and Occult is My Passport. That is the list of the entire uh, uh, episodes that we recorded. The ones specifically in the running here are His Motorbike, Her Island, uh, that was an Obayashi film that we decided to record on after his unfortunate passing uh, over this year. RIP to Obayashi. Uh, we recorded on Rebels of the Neon God. I believe that was, someone correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that was a suggestion from the Trilon uh, in one of their emails. That's correct. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh, so his motorbike, Her Island, Rebels of the Neon God, Inside Man, uh, Cabaret, and Shogun Assassin, which was a movie we saw uh, as part of the 36 Chambers streaming with uh, the RZA kind of providing commentary. So those are the five films. Does anybody have a place to start off here? Let's uh, let's talk about... Wait, in trying to like pare them down? Yeah. Or, or, uh, oh, well. well, well, geez, I'd... I'd go to the map for his motorbike, her island. It was. I was really, about to really... say so. This is yeah. why his motorbike, her <laughs> island, should win this particular category. Take it away, Jason. Well, I don't know <laughs> that I can get us that close, but I would go to the map for his motorbike, her island, as my number one pick, just because of you know I was very, very glad to be able to go back to the works of Nobuhiko. Excuse me, Nobuhiko Obayashi. Obayashi. I'm really. Uh, I've been away from Japan too long, guys. Um, but it was, 
you know, with the with Hausu being such a staple of the Trilands programming and it being like one of my like pretty much the movie that got me into, you know, watching Criterion stuff and uh, and, you know, subscribing to their uh, service and, you know, sort of that co-culture beneath movies. It that's a really important movie for me. And knowing that, like, there's really strong stuff out in the same director's oeuvre that's just really solid otherwise. I was really glad to go back to that. And that was one, I feel like that was the movie where we said, we're not beholden to anything right now with this podcast. This, these few months are going to be totally ours. I would, I would say just because of the agency we displayed and putting that together, uh, that that's way up there for me. Uh, also it's a beautiful, sad, like crushingly sad movie that also has a very strong, like tinge of hope, uh, and just like really, really strong writing. Uh, it's, it's beautiful to look at it. You know, if you've, if you've seen how you're weirdly ready to watch this movie, it's got so much going for it. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll just echo what you said. Just, you know, watching how uh, every year at the trial on is such like a, well, it's, it's a new tradition for us. Right. But it's, it's like this, it's like this institution at this point. I think that the fact that he passed away, that we, we watched this film that is so different uh, from Haosu, uh, but kind of similar in weird ways, right? Like it, it feels like just right. the, the same, like kind of artistic spark from this this absolute weirdo uh, who is able to create this movie that that is just so out there and, and uh, singular. Um, I think that that this is probably probably I think the best movie. Maybe there's arguments for other movies on here. But but I think that this is the best movie. I think this is certainly the movie that Harry. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the movie that Harry is most upset is not eligible for other awards. Is am I wrong there? Yeah. Um. You know, while we're doing hyperbole, and I, I'm going to do a lot of echoing of what Jason and uh, Aaron said. I would say that I I put this movie in my top five, uh, like bar none, just period. Um, which makes it pretty much de facto the best movie I've seen this year, right? Um. Yeah. So I am. I if if this movie were uh on our like nominations for best picture i would go to the mat for it uh ganjan hess be damned even though i adore fucking ganjan hess so that's just yeah i i'm totally with you nice um i guess for what it's worth i would also put his motorbiker island at the top of this category for me and yo probably, probably some other lists um i did want to say um i know it's shogun assassin on this list and not uh, the lone wolf and cub movies period. Um, just to give a, a really quick shout out. I think I probably alluded to it on this episode, but like if, if, the, if this were a list of like best things that I watched this year, period, um, the lone wolf and cub movies, I believe I saw five of the six of them, um, that there are, uh, in the year 2020, those, um, are incredible. They've been weirdly, uh, important as I've been, um, sitting here in this apartment by myself um shogun assassin is a completely different thing but i did want to shout out the source material a little bit um that was also a fun episode all of these were great episodes in my mind um but with this being a uh, a measure of quality of the movie um for me it's his motorbiker island hands down uh, I will say a quick, quick shout out to uh, a number of guests who joined on these episodes uh, shogun assassin was uh minneapolis matt matt clark uh, I believe Jenny Ackerson joined for Rebels of the Neon God mm-hmm. and Matt Yost joined for Cabaret. And I don't think I'm missing anybody else there. I will I will say just very briefly, because I think this is going to be his motorbike, uh, Shogun Assassin, just watching that uh, live stream with the RZA just, just kind of uh, 
going off about recording Wu-Tang songs uh, was a great experience. I, I don't think I can put it as the best movie necessarily, but I had a hell of a time uh, watching that and and then also having a, a Discord chat open with the fellows just kind of shooting the shit about it. Um, that was a really good time. I think the other consideration here would be I think Rebels of a Neon Good is <laughs> Rebels of a Neon God is a very very good movie uh, that I think surprised me in kind of a similar way that his Motorbike Her Island did. Um, those movies are like I know we recorded them pretty close to each other too, and I I know we were at that point trying to pick movies. I mean, Inside Man's great, right? But like I had seen Inside Man, it's a pretty popular movie. We were trying to get to a little more niche films that we, we other uh, otherwise wouldn't be able to watch and record on. I think rebels of a neon God really sticks out uh, from earlier this year. Um, so that would be number two for me, but yeah, I, I think his motorbikes taking it for, for probably all of us, but. So what we probably should have done is tried to construct an argument for each of these before we actually just went ahead. Nah, and declared nah. our um, nah. But all of that is to say that like, I don't, there's not a single weak pick here, right? Like I think rebels of the neon gun would probably be my second. Um, Sai Ming Liang, who is the director of rebels of the neon God, that was his debut. Um, he's since gone on to become one of the most acclaimed Taiwanese filmmakers. Um, I think he's a genius. Um, Cody, you just watched goodbye dragon in. Maybe you can speak oh, to I that. I want to watch that so badly uh, yeah, me yeah too. You, you bet i did a uh, shout out to second run um which is kind of the probably as far as like how well known these things are below like you know you have your criterions your kino lorbers um others that i'm blanking out on because we're doing this live um but second run is kind of like lower tier um this is probably one of the biggest if not the biggest title that they have in their collection um if i re- remember it's a very it's a limited collection they seem to be sort of on the up and up hopefully this gets them somewhere good um but yeah i just picked up the um the blu-ray of that i believe it's an all region release so anybody interested in getting it doesn't have to worry about it not playing on us uh devices you know blu-ray players um also i have it if anybody locally wants to borrow it but yeah uh that movie rips and it made me really sad in a nostalgic um yearning for time before COVID kind of way yeah really well said and uh rebels of the neon god is like an interesting proto Ming leung right and it's also in my opinion an incredible movie on its own right i definitely agree with aaron um uh in terms of the other ones if we want to speak to them really quick uh cabaret was the most surprising on this list um i don't consider myself a fan of musicals it's sort of a weakness of mine um maybe a stereotypical guy weakness nevertheless um I thought Cabaret was really, really fantastic. Um, The music was good, but more than that, I think that as a character study, as a sort of um, political commentary and satire and the uh, commentary on the way that the political and the human are always in association with one another and impossible to separate, um, it's a really fantastic, nuanced uh, film and um, great performances. Uh, It was Absolutely fantastic to talk about it with Matt Yost, who is passionate about it and who really understands it and really had a lot of great things to say about it. Um, That's a really perfect example for me about the way that this podcast has helped me develop further in terms of both my artistic taste and my um, perspective. Uh, And so that was like a really deeply enriching experience for me. And uh, it would be tough to or I would I would love to rank it 
but it just so happens that uh, his motorbike her island like is kind of a life changing uh, movie for me that actually changed in like measurable ways the way I think about some things. So like yeah. I have to give it to that one, but like etc. You know. I think it's very telling that, that Harry is pulling out the the heavy hitter, which is like the ooh top five movie for me, and like no one no one is calling that out as bullshit because like we all agree it's that good of a movie, right? Like like if right. I tried to pull that for Inside Man, I think everybody'd be like, all right, all right, it's toned down here. Inside uh, Man's great. It is great. Uh, inside, oh yeah, real quick, Inside Man uh, is I think the the first and only uh, Spike Lee movie we've talked about is good. I, I kind of consider that uh, kind of the opposite of Cabaret, where Cabaret is a, a a really subtle movie that shows just how deep musicals could be if you're the kind of person like me. And I know I'm wrong when I do it, but I typically write off musicals. Uh, I shouldn't do that because a lot of musicals are incredibly intelligent and nuanced. Uh, Cabaret just kind of shows how, how dumb I am uh, in expressing that attitude often. Uh, Inside Man is kind of the opposite where it's it's not as deep as it thinks it is, but it is still nevertheless just as good of a movie as, as if it was, right? Where like a lot of the themes necessarily aren't too right. explored, but like th- it's still such a great movie of Spike Lee just doing this really fun heist with these these two main characters kind of playing off each other. Um, it's probably the weakest movie on this list, but I, I, I really like. I have a weird uh, uh, love of Inside Man. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, that I, I didn't know. Just for context, I did not know that that was a Spike Lee film prior to watching it. And Aaron and I were sitting on the couch, and he's like, "Just wait." Just wait. I know it's it's got Clive and it's got Denzel Washington, blah, 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 blah. But just watching the credits roll in on that movie was an experience unto itself. I uh, still didn't like make the movie a top anything for me. I, I really enjoyed it. It was good for the bit, whatever, you know, uh, but good watching a, experience. What's that? It's a it's a fine film. It's a four star film. In my a, mind. It, is, it is the most four star, four star film of all time out of five stars. Just about 80 percent. Yeah. Should should we uh, should we uh, not to show how the sausage is made? Should we bold his motorbike and, and award it to that one? Yeah, I think it's no. time. <laughs> Get it done. Get it done. Tony, do you have anything else to say about any of our entries here? Uh, no, I think we covered them all. Um to to find detail um if, uh, if i may be so bold i'd say we can oh and you already did bold it never mind then. we're good <laughs> oh uh, i'd like to echo what aaron says there is a fucking rules uh he's like yeah. one of the coolest people alive yeah uh, everybody knows that it's fine but yeah all right i will let each uh individual announcer of each section toss to the next announcer of the next section so aaron i think that's up to you uh i believe cody is going to to handle our next section cody Ah, uh, uh, nice. You tossed it to me, and wow, look at that. I caught okay. it. Thanks. Ooh, um, seven points. Oh, seven? Okay. Um, in any case, hi, I'm opening up the spreadsheet, sausage being made, etc. Hello. Uh, next category, um, for those unfamiliar uh, with my work, I'm Cody, and the category that uh, we will be transitioning to is the trial on event we're saddest about missing. Um, there have been many events this year, especially in the United States, that we have not been able to hit in the ways that we maybe would have in prior years um, and different realities. Um, some of those that are trial on adjacent that we wanted to shout out and uh, talk about briefly. Um, first, just going to the, the trial on in general um, for those of us in the area or for those who've maybe moved to a different city or state uh, like Chicago, Illinois. 
that is something that um, was missed this year. Um, the uh, the horrorthon that Trilon puts on that the Trilon puts on annually. Um, obviously, we we weren't able to to hit that this year because people in enclosed spaces, etc. Um, watching Houseu on Halloween is uh, also uh, our th- that's our third nominee. Um, that's kind of a, a staple ritual um, that those in the Trilon community have grown accustomed to. Um, seeing the sh- uh, the shop around the corner, again, one of those ritual watches, this one taking place around the holidays uh, at Christmas. That's uh, an Ernst Lubitsch uh, joint that uh, we recorded on previously last year, if you're interested in hearing more about that. And finally, um, seeing the seventh seal, uh, just with that being one of the more higher profile titles uh, that the Trilon had intended uh, to schedule and show uh, it's it's fine fan base this year um again for similar aforementioned reasons not being able to see seven seal on a big beautiful screen hearing that big booming audio um for covid reasons um so those are those are the five things that we wanted to shout out um as far as events that we were sad about missing anybody have a place to jump off uh into aaron yeah can, can i real quick does anybody know if seven seal was supposed to be on film or i believe it was yeah yeah i think that collective had it on 35 that to me feels very much like the the seven samurai of this year right where it's like classic arguably top 10 film got it got it on film we you know and it that that feels like there are a lot of movies that like just individually like oh i would have loved to see this or this but i think seven seal is like this this is the classic film that you wanted to buy tickets ahead of time. It was going to sell out. It's just one of those. You know what I mean? Like this is that kind of a thing for this year to me. That's a gr- that's a great analog. Um, the the one I'll uh, shout out, I guess, is Haosu. Um, both because like Obayashi died this year, obviously. So like I would have killed to see uh, his sort of um, at least most well known movie, if not Magnus Magnum Opus. Uh, at the Trilon once more, it's one of my favorite things that we do all year, every year. Um, heartbreaking that we didn't get to see it. Um, last year, uh, we went to it and then went to Parasite, and that was like one of the best Halloweens ever. So I would have loved to have uh, done that again. Um, and uh, and also that we had just seen um, his motorbiker island, which like retroactively goes back and makes Haosu even more special because on its own, sort of if if Haosu is your only intro to, to Obayashi, it feels like it could break either way, where it's like, is this guy an unbelievable radical genius, or is he just out of his mind, or is he just making some weird, wild garbage? Like, if you're, I, I would argue that, that Haosu stands on its own really well, but there's always that suggestion. So to see something so validating as his motorbike, Her Island, which is unquestionably an Obayashi movie and also unquestionably a masterpiece in my mind. Uh, it makes Haosu even more intentional and even more special in a way that I really would have liked to have experienced. Um, and so that's why I guess I'm really sad about missing that one. Uh, yeah, pretty well warranted sadness IMO. Um, I wanted to very briefly touch on the horror-thon just because I, a couple weeks ago, I was picking up some Trilon merch that I had purchased. Uh, go to their website and check out their shop. They are selling really cool things. Um, I was picking up uh, some stuff I had bought, and I was chatting up the namesake of this award show, um, Barry Krishka. And um, just got, obviously a lot is still in the air for future plans and things. Um, weren't able to do the horathon this year because it, we were knee-deep in virus Um as far as I think currently it's on the trial on calendar for something like April. And, you know, he was, you know, 
being pretty transparent as far as I could tell about, you know, do we split it up into multiple shows and like have people come in with like the limited or reduced, you know, quantities in the showroom that they had, that they've been doing up to this point, um, aside from any formal closings that, uh, the government had sort of led them to do, um, but it, you know, in any case, with with that sort of being a glimmer of hope for 2021, that's you know potentially something we have to look forward to. Um, I had never been to it. I'd heard great things about it. Um, can't remember if that was from anybody here. Maybe friends of the pod. Um, I think just hearing things from them uh, and the the Trilon elite. Um, but uh, but yeah, that particular bummer. Uh, everything here is a bummer. Not to you know not have any preference, but but yeah, I wanted to give that a shout out. I will. Uh... Just to touch on Shop Around the Corner, that's one of my favorite episodes of this podcast we've we've ever made. Um, it was really kind of tough to go back to and listen to just because it's it's one of the ones that was pre-quarantine that we managed to get in person and talk about. We actually, I think we recorded it in 2019, I want to say, and recorded it just, or excuse me, released it very early 2020. Um, it was one of our first few episodes of the year. And that movie has, I think, a very, like, a very classic quality, like, like, uh, like Aaron was saying, just very like straightforward, um, you know, it's sort of slam dunk. Everybody's going to love this type. And those are the ones that are meatiest, I think, for us to like try and apply what little lens we're able to to it. Uh, and we did we did that in spades, I think, with Shop Around the Corner. We were all just straight vibing with that one. Uh, I, I really I was really looking forward, I guess, right after finishing recording that episode, uh, really looking forward to watching that again at the Trilon, um, you know, trying to stay warm when it's really fucking cold outside, uh, and probably standing outside too long to talk about it anyway. Uh, the whole kind of way that this podcast started. Um, uh, so I, I I'll just echo again, I guess how disappointing it was to not have that experience this year, but, uh, Damn, so dude, go watch shop around the corner, listen to our episode about it. We had a lot of fun. Um, but there's, I think there's a clear, obvious winner yeah. to this section right uh, yeah hey uh i moved to chicago so i don't get to go to the trilon hardly ever anymore what? no matter what yeah i, I haven't he, i haven't i don't think, have i mentioned it on this podcast i don't i think you've mentioned it on your behalf maybe like <laughs> yeah like aaron's busy in chicago like he's yeah. fucking around doing chicago shit uh yeah i moved to chicago uh which is a, a big easy, baby Yes, the uh, greatest freaking city in the United States. The uh, big Apple, baby. Uh, that's right, the the Big Apple of the Midwest. Uh, and, and Chicago is, uh, you know, bigger in in all respects than Minneapolis. Has a lot of, you know, it is a bigger city, right? Uh, one thing that Chicago weirdly lacks is Trilon quality repertory theaters. Uh, although I would not know because I have not been able to. Uh, go around and check out the area. But it, even from just like Googling around and kind of trying to read up on stuff, it doesn't seem like there is a Trilon of Chicago, which is a pretty massive uh, bummer to me. Wow. Um, we call, so that, I we call just, that a, yeah, we uh, call that a market gap. That's there, where you got to hop in, Aaron. I think there's a couple of repertory gonna, cinemas that we were going to maybe check out someday, but uh, I think it's yeah. probably there. I think they, they mostly play, you know, there is like, and no disrespect to them, there, there's, you know, like the Music Box Theater, uh, which is a historical theater in a lot of ways, but most of what it is playing is, you know, it's playing Parasite when it comes through. It's playing more artsy yet still kind of high-profile movies mixed in with maybe some kind of normal high-profile movies. Um, it is not playing 
Rebels of the Neon God, Black Magic 2 kind of stuff, right? I don't think it is. Maybe special events. Uh, where the Trilon, that is what the Trilon does. It does those kind of special events at other theaters uh, every single day. Um, so I miss the Trilon quite a bit. Uh, I am not alone in that regard because everybody here, of course, misses the Trilon because there is a pandemic going on. Uh, but, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, coronavirus is not a good thing. But right now, I am pretty even with the fellows on watching Trilon movies this year. Next year, year after that, Maybe harder to keep up with you guys, given the geographic uh, disparity here. I don't know. So I, I'm not going to be able we, to. Go to I think we have to give it to you. Listen, I really wanted to go to the horathon, so I don't know, but uh, I guess yours makes sense. If, um, if you I think guess. about it, the, yeah. Let's I, just I will, him with this. I will try and uh, when I visit uh, Minneapolis, try, maybe try and schedule around big. Uh, honestly, the horathon, the kind, those kind of events would be great to. Uh, to do when I visit Minneapolis. Um, I, you know, yeah, I will say just uh, kind of the last thing about this is that it, one thing that has kept up being nice, dis- despite the fact that I am now in Chicago, uh, is that I think that part of the, as someone who is interested in film, I think part of the appeal of a, a, an institution like the Trilon is that other than random lists on the internet, there is kind of no good way to get a structured yet uh, hands-off uh, way to diving into film, right? Like when I when I started watching more films in like college and whatnot, it was, oh, let's let's watch all of the, let's watch all, all of Kubrick's films or let's watch all of the Coen Brothers films and whatnot. Or, oh, hey, I watched two Catherine Bigelow films. Let's watch the rest of them. Um, part of the thing that the Trilon is good at is it's saying, hey, here's a schedule. Here's programming. If you follow this along, you will get a film education in kind of this weird and interesting way. It may not be exactly the one you want, but then you get to watch a lot of movies that surprise you in interesting ways. So the nice thing is even digitally, I've been able to do that by talking with you guys and recording this podcast so it's not shout all to john. yeah shout out to john shout outs to john uh our next segment uh you want to introduce us cody yeah yeah absolutely um i will be taking a step back and this next bit will be um brought forth into the fold that is a phrase uh that i'm going to let harry handle he can probably communicate that better so smiling at himself Smiling H, baby. Yeah, the introduction you've been waiting for uh, with your favorite introducer, it's me. Uh, so my my category that we're doing is the best Trilon dry run 2020, peeling back the old kimono once more. Uh, we actually thought about calling this podcast Trilon dry run once upon a time. Um, I think it sounds like baby talk, so I objected to it. Sorry, Jason. We also talked about tripod, which is much better than Trilove, so I'm very sorry that that didn't end up happening. But Trilove was my idea. That's where we're at now. Uh, we live I with forgot- yeah, you live with it. I forgot what I was talking about. It's Trilon Dry Run 2020. That means it's a movie that we went into the Trilon not knowing a damn thing about before we started watching it. We maybe read a Wikipedia entry or something, uh, but you know how we feel about research and generally being prepared and professional. You can only imagine what we're like before we've even seen the movie. So to get that sense, these are movies that we went in blind and we really, really enjoyed and that that prompted us to do actual research or learn or have the sort of film education that Aaron suggested before. Um, And the nominees are uh, Hard Target. That's the John Woo movie. Uh, We talked about that before. Really great experience. The next one, Ganjin Hess. That's Bill Gunn's masterpiece. Um, We'll talk about it quite a lot. Uh, Teshi Gahara's Pitfall, the first uh, of his films and one of the first that we saw at the Trilon. Um, 
Kiro Stami's Close Up. Uh, that's Cody and Mai's personal favorite movie of the year uh, that we saw at the Trilon. And finally, Son of the White Mare, um, which is by a very well-known and acclaimed um, Hungarian. Marcel Yankovics. Thank you. <laughs> Marcel Yankovic. It's a it's that's a wonderful movie. So those are our categories, gentlemen. And now we're going to uh argue about them. Let's do it. Yeah, argue we will. Um oh Damn. sorry, Jason, didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no no no, you had your hand up. It's you. Sure. Um I was just gonna say that we're getting into sort of uh and maybe this is the most extreme example of this, but like deliberating over like imperceptible things and going off of things that we can't quantify super well you know the uh, ratio of how much each of us individually and how much we collectively knew about these movies going into them and then kind of weighing what we got out of them um and uh, not everything here is something we've we've all seen so that's something i guess we can take into consideration uh that we probably did last year as well like i i know for me close up is probably the winner um and i'm saying that only you know that's that would be my pick. I mean, that's my number one of the year, and I knew next to nothing, uh, maybe virtual nothing, virtually nothing going into it. Um, if I were to outline kind of where I was at, um, I mean, again, as Harry mentioned in his great introduction of this segment, these are all movies that we all liked um, and liked quite a bit. Uh, a lot of these are names that we've heard before in the past. 40 minutes or so since we've been recording. Um, but I mean, like Hard Target would probably be next for me. Ganjin Hess, Son of the White Mare are ones that I knew, uh, like I had pre, like I had expectations kind of going into them and I, in some fashion, expected to like them and I ended up loving them, um, which again, difficult thing to weigh against the other kind of versions of movie love that we have on this list. I watched Pitfall a couple hours before uh, we started recording uh, for the hell of it. And I haven't really had the time to uh, kind of like marinate with that for a while um, that um, some other fellas here have. So that, that would probably be at the bottom for me. Uh, but that movie rules um, as it has been referenced already. Um, that is just kind of where I'm at. Um, and I don't know if any, everybody else is a tier list throwing in a gaming term. I think, I don't know how everybody else's tier list wow. really, uh, shake out, but um, yeah, growth. You this know? has been a wild year for Cody. <laughs> He's a gamer now. I think, I, I think, think I think all Cody a gamer. God, it's weird. I never would have thought, but hey, uh, 2020 <laughs> wild shit happens. Um, I, I will say, uh, my personal pick for this one, uh, is Teshigahara's pitfall. However, I think, uh, this is probably just on this list as a kind of, uh, pat on the head from, uh, some of the other fellows here who I believe all liked woman in the dunes more. Am I correct about that? I did I not wanna... see it. I want to rewatch Pitfall quite a bit. I like Pitfall a lot, but I did like Woman in the Dunes more. Yeah, my Pitfall's on an even tier with me for what it's worth. I both okay. like them a, a ton, but kind of in equal-ish amounts. Yeah, I, I personally, Pitfall, uh, let's say it was a very personally affecting movie due to what was happening, uh, let's say, from a coronavirus slash political standpoint uh at that time and and to go into that would maybe be a little uh, let's say annoying but i'll just say that pitfall pretty much embodied early 2020 for me in a lot of ways uh that doesn't necessarily tie into what this category is about so maybe we well, just that's, say that that's one's... very worth talking about that's actually a really good point 
let's just say that that uh, the, the certain results of certain political contests early in 2020 made a shadowy shadowy conspiracy uh, that people couldn't comprehend uh, sh- a shadowy conspiracy kind of coming together to eliminate a labor movement uh, a very uh, uh, you know uh, prescient thing uh, at the time and also I think it was the last movie that I saw. Uh, again, after the result of certain political contests, but also I think uh, like two days before like coronavirus, it was, it like, was dropped literally like, like three, three days before actual lockdown. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I went to work after seeing it. I think I'm I'm pretty sure that we maybe like a day, and then it was like everybody's going home, and like that was it. Yeah, uh, it it was it was uh, an absolutely brutal watch, uh, and pretty much embodied early 2020 or like, you know, March timeframe. Uh, that being said, I also just, as far as like quality of, of movie goes, I think it's, it's one of my favorites of the year. There are a few things in it that are kind of indefensible. I'd have a, a hard time recommending it just based on how it handles certain things. Um, so it's a flawed movie in that manner. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to compete against, you know, Ganja and Hess or close up in this category. So I've, you know, I've said my piece about that. So, you know, I would just like to throw in that, like, I remember that night very clearly, and it's very funny that, like, this is a <clears throat> this is a podcast mostly about our, our joy and personal enrichment, um, and so it, it's pretty funny and ironic that that Aaron's pick is like maybe the angriest the, the two of us have ever been in that movie theater. It's like yeah, I it's... think both, both of us were like pretty close to despondent sitting down in that theater to watch that movie because of like you had said all of the things that were happening around us, and it was just like man, fucking everything is is fucked, and like we're all gonna die. <laughs> And let's watch this, like, unbelievable, harrowing, terrifying movie about uh, capitalism and how, like, people are fucked even in the afterlife and all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I look forward cool. to it. I look forward to watching it. Um, I'd go for Son of the White Mare for the same reason um, that I gave earlier. I really can't expound way too much upon that. But it was, again... Animation of the Triland is a rare enough thing, and on top of that, it was uh, an unexpectedly, like, really genuinely pleasurable experience to watch that movie. I think that was also one where we got an early screening, maybe our very first early screening. Yeah, uh, I don't know about our first, but it, it was definitely a like we are privileged assholes uh, scenario that Harry referenced earlier. Yeah, um, I think the killer was our very first advanced screening but the son of the white mirror was also one right yep yeah great environment for it and great point about animation jason the fact that we see so little of that at the trilon um just because of reasons um seeing that on their screen was especially nice because they don't we don't see as many of those types of movies come through for sure uh, how many Iranian how many- uh, docu-fiction films do you see come through, though? You know what I mean. <laughs> That's another good question. That, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like of the movies that that embody that kind of repertory cinema feel, I feel like Ganjin has close up and Son of the White Mare are the three. I think Hard Target is like definitely took us the most by surprise, maybe in a weird way. Um, but I don't know. It, it feels like those other three that I mentioned are kind of the ones that like embody the spirit of this category maybe i'm yeah. wrong yeah no i mean like i've, I've heard a lot of uh japanese in the trilon i've heard a lot of um french i've heard a lot of spanish i think this was the first time i'd heard persian uh at the trilon um and that's a, a joy right and also like i didn't know anything about kirostami um i think if i remember that night correctly i was like tired as i often am and sort of like 
uh, pissed and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to a movie and it's like, Oh, what's playing. It's like, Oh, it's some like, like wild head ass cinema experiment by like an Iranian new wave director. And it's like, do I really want to subject myself to something I have to think that hard about? And then I went and I just like, I think I cried a bunch and like, it was like this beautiful, unbelievable movie that like moved me to my core. Ben Savard, shout out to Ben was there. And like, we talked about it afterwards and it was just like, Oh yeah. Like this is why the trilon exists. And this is why it means so much to me. Uh, and so I think probably that would be my pick and I'll let Cody talk about what he wants to talk about, about it or anything else now. <laughs> Uh, no, for sure. Thank you for handing that off. Um, yeah, I remember that night when we saw Close Up pretty vividly. Um, yeah, shout out to to Ben for kind of sandwiching our screening with like uh, seemingly insurmountable hype. And then afterward, us just saying like, yeah, that hype was totally warranted uh, and completely valid and true. Um, yeah, I, th- I think with somebody said something that made me think about Hard Target. And like I, on one hand, like I, I want to give priorities as much as possible. Um, again, unquantifiable uh, weight, um, as it may be with with this sort of thing we're doing. But like seeing Hard Target together gives it a boost in my mind, and also the fact that unlike I think Son of the White Mare and Ganja Ganja and Hess, I was pretty closer to indifferent about like what I felt I would get out of it, but just kind of thinking that, oh, this will be something I probably would like. Hard Target, I do very little about it going in, but what I did know about it made me think I was not going to like it, and it would just be like a schlocky, like, bad fun uh, time at the movies with the fellas, and it my experience was a complete 180 and then some, and I give it a little more credit for, like, for that experience pulling me back and like shooting in the opposite direction more. I think it's easier to bring me from apathy to, to liking a movie, but that's again, like some made up uh, criteria um, that I just put together for myself in my own brain, uh, which is pea sized. Um, Yeah. I I think um, son of the white mare, uh, which I heard Jason shout out um, might be a, a good collective choice because we did all see it together. I didn't see it. The aforementioned reason. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah well, I wasn't able to go. You're, you're in Chicago. Yeah, you're I'm right. Wrong. Okay, so, so that can't win. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll stop no, talking since I got caught with my pants down. No, Wait, listen, Cody. Can, Cody, can I ask really quick? Do you do you have what would be a number one for you personally? Me Not personally, the... me personally is close up. Um, the all right. I, I can't I can't help right, but Jason, we so need to we because But we no, listen, listen <laughs> Yeah. Cody's making a really good point. Uh this is an perhaps the most existential of categories because it is an award about what we're choosing to award, right? Which is an award about what we like best about going into Trilon movies that we haven't seen before and what we take away from them. That could mean a lot of different things, right? Like the thing we take away from uh, close up is very different from the thing we took away from hard target. And I I'm saying all of this for a purpose, which is that after Cody's um, advocation for hard target, I think I'm ready to change my vote to it uh, for all of the reasons he mentioned. And for the fact that it was such a special experience for all of us uh, that you mentioned it in your picks earlier. And for uh, one reason, which maybe be beyond consideration, but I think we should consider it, which is that 
if that wasn't the last, then I think it was one of the very last movies that we all saw together. And then we all drove to Jason's uh, recording studio at his former job and then recorded on immediately after watching together. That will never happen again. And that may have been the last time. And I know that's crazy depressing, right? But like Aaron's in Chicago, it's quarantine. Who knows what's going to happen? That was like an amazing experience and like maybe typifies for me uh, what a, a trial on dry run is all about best. Can Even, I try and? Yes. Sorry, yeah. Cody, go ahead. Oh, uh, really quick. Um, I think February 10th is the date that I surmised from our letterboxd entries that we saw it. So about another month um, from then was lockdown. I know briefly before then we had all gone to see Tokyo Godfathers. That I think was the last movie that all of us saw at the same time in theaters together. Um, But yeah, Hard Target was definitely uh, near the end. Um, Great points. I didn't expect to get so sad while recording, but that was very well put, Harry. Can, can I try and argue against Harry's point? I feel like a dick doing it because Harry made such a beautiful point there. My, I think my problem with Hard Target is that it was a John Woo film. We had seen The Killer probably two days prior to that. This uh, is the argument. This days. is the argument to make. Yep. No, yeah. Where, like, Hard Target may not have been... I, I, I personally, I think, prefer it to The Killer. Uh, but I think you could make an argument for either of those films. Um you know, I knew going into Hard Target that it was going to be a John Woo movie. I had just seen a John Woo movie. I, I don't know if this is as much of a dry run in the same way. And I didn't I didn't see Close Up, but it seems like Close Up was the dry run movie. You know, uh, for me, it's Pitfall. But like Ganja and Hess, uh, that film has, uh, you know, uh, a notoriety to it. You know what I mean? Like I, I've heard Ganja and Hess referenced in... in articles on the internet i've heard it referenced in rap songs like that is a movie that i was kind of generally culturally aware of um again i didn't see close up but to me that seems like the movie that that would win it if it wasn't for pitfall for me personally um hard target i don't think embodies the spirit of the category as much but i I could maybe be convinced to go for it i i don't want to rain on that parade but it is like the category is the best dry run not the driest run you know it's two different factors that I'm evaluating and it's like quality of film slash the experience and our familiarity with the film prior to seeing it. And several jump up way to the top for me, like Son of the White Mirror. I had not heard of that before seeing it. Ganjan Hess, not heard of it before seeing it. I still haven't seen Pitfall or Close Up, but I did not hear about those prior to knowing that you guys were going to see them and talk about them. Um, I, for that reason, I I would be willing to change from Son of the White Mirror to Ganjan Hess because that is such just like, that is the 2020 movie for me. Uh, Ganjan Hess, that is. But again, like what, what criteria we should decide our criteria and just go for it. Yeah. So, uh, maybe we all vote, huh? We, we, we could do a sure. Sure. I, 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 I I formally vote for Ganjan Hess. Ganjan Hess gets one vote. What's up, what, Aaron? What, what, I don't want to vote for close up. I think to me sounds like it should win this category, but I also did not see close up. But I just feel like that I don't want to the category, like, not necessarily the movie. Yeah, I don't want to speak, but I don't want to. I don't want to like vote for something that like if I vote for it and then Harry votes for Hard Target, it's like well, fuck me, I voted it because he liked it that much. You know what I mean? I'll vote. I'll vote for uh, for close up. Cody. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> Uh, I'll, 
I'll I'll stick with hard target. Truthfully, any of the three that have received votes at, at this point, I am totally good with awarding this. Um, they're very. Aaron right. pitfall, and then it's a four way tie. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to. I, okay, here here's what I'll say. Uh, just just based on the dry run nature of people seeing these films and their experience coming out, I th- I think I will say close up because close up is I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen Son of the White Mare. You know, I haven't seen Close Up. I think the movie that I'm most excited to like, I, I the movie that's been in the back of my mind, like, I just need to watch this movie has been Close Up for me. Um, it's been the movie that like, based on the dry run nature, it's been like, I just I just need to see that movie. It's a bummer that I didn't see it. You guys were ranting about it, uh, you know, for, for weeks after it. you guys watched it. So yeah, I, I would say Close Up. So congratulations to Kiro Kurosawa's uh, wow, Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi Kurosawa's cure uh, for the, oh, yeah. the 2020 oh. Trilon Dry Run. Uh, congratulations once again to Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One best picture of 2019. We have another segment to get to, I believe. I'm sorry. I think I'm introing my own segment. I'm sorry. That's all right. You're, uh, you already know what it is. You've been waiting for it. It's your man, uh, the producer, our leader, the sort of Leonardo, if you will, of the podcast, hmm. Jason Daphnis himself. Take it away, Jason. Thank you so much, Harry. I style myself as a bit of a Donatello, but I will also accept uh, graciously the Leonardo position. Uh, the Andromeda Strain is one, sorry, no, two hours. I need to... I need to make sure that I'm getting my actual numbers correct. Maybe I don't because I don't see it. Oh, two hours and 11 minutes long. The Andromeda Strain 1971, uh, our episode 74 from about five months ago. This uh, this category is the Rashomanis. Uh, you may remember last year uh, we brought up the Rashomanis in terms of um, comparing the length of a film and its quality to the length and quality and usage of that time of the film Rashomon, 1950, uh, Akira Kurosawa film. Now, Rashomon is, depending on what corners of the internet you ask, either 88 minutes or just over 90 minutes long. We're choose, we choose to go to adhere to the 88-minute thesis, uh, wherein Rashomon is displaying four different stories, sorry, one story, four different ways in 88 minutes and communicating it clearly, concisely, and effectively. What movie play, that played this year was least that least all of those things took the most time to say the least and was not engaging about it. And that is clearly the Andromeda strain at two hours and 11 minutes long. Uh, the 1971, uh, sci-fi thriller film was, uh, one of the Trilons, uh, part of the Trilons programming because of its uh, proximity in plot to an, a viral outbreak, uh, that needs to be stopped and sort of the rushed, uh, hurried efforts to stop it by, uh, feverish scientists um, in a state, secret state-of-the-art laboratory. Uh, it is very in de- in love with its details. I don't know how much there is to discuss about this because it is an absolute slam dunk of a pick. Uh, this movie is very obsessed with its details. It keeps jumping from one tiny little aspect of the plot to another and not really stringing them together into any sort of larger or more interesting, uh, you know, some, it really is just let's focus on this one tiny plot aspect of somebody's expertise or of their job or of what they're trying to do in the moment, and then jump to another one of those in the next 15 minutes, repeat until, you know, 130 minutes are up. Yeah, I do want to just, just to, to, to make sure everybody's aware who's listening. This doesn't mean it's a shitty movie, although I 
I don't know. Do you guys like the Android? I, 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 I've already forgotten that movie, so I'll, I'll, I'm going on record as calling it shitty. This is, it's not necessarily it's a bad movie. It's, I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, it's a movie that doesn't justify its length. This is not hate. This is not salt about the Andromeda strain. Just, you know, we feel like it could have been done in uh, 90 minutes, you know? Isn't Michael Crichton a climate denier? So, like, fuck oh, him. Yikes. Yeah. That's what uh, Sphere's about. Yeah. Uh, fuck that guy, if that's the case. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think Andromeda Strain is a bad movie by any means. There are th- un- There's enough here to, I think, warrant a rewatch from me at some point in the, like, distant, distant future when I've forgotten about how often I was checking my phone for, like, the time like what well time yeah was, just, just just hit play, forward just hit one play on the movie increments. yeah just hit play on the movie then by then you will have like enough time will have passed by the oh. time the credits roll around that you'll think did i ever watch that movie because it's so fucking long <laughs> okay, does actually he is hating on this movie uh yeah i, I, mean, just, I think whatever. i gave it a two and a half which is very low for me because i'm kind oh. of a an easy critic to be honest um it's just like the thing is that it's it's like a weird kind of dry nerd movie right where it's just like it's all about like these details kind of at the expense of like plot or character or anything there's like a deus machina ending this is after like literally 30 minutes of introducing the facility that they're going to be staying in because that is apparently what was exciting to the whole team there it's fine it's just a weird sensibility that makes the movie feel kind of dry and long and it's not bad but it's like it's not great it's like driving through southern minnesota to get to iowa you're like are we still here and then finally you get where you're trying to go and you're gonna piss off cody hey careful I did not. Uh, I did not mention I, the town. I have not often ventured south of Rochester, Minnesota, to go into Iowa. That's only been done a few times, and boy, howdy, do I know what Jason is referring to? It is not fun. I don't uh, envy anyone who has to make that trip routinely. So I, I'm, uh, I'm not angered in the least. Okay, I just assume that Rochester is southern Minnesota. Anything that's vague <laughs> and south of the Twin Cities is south Minnesota to me. You're right. Uh, I will say this is the last thing in, in my mind uh, uh, that I have to say about the Andromeda Stain is that I think part of it was that this was kind of earlier in the year, if I'm not if I'm not wrong on that. It was kind of earlier in the year, and we did watch yeah. Alien at the Trilon last year, and Alien is oh. a two-hour-long sci-fi movie that feels like it's about maybe 80 minutes. That it's is just also like, just scientifically perfect. It is, Yeah, it is the opposite of the Rashomonis, where there's the Alien Award for a movie that... that feels 40 minutes shorter than it actually is due to tight scripting and and how much it draws you in uh so yeah sorry uh tough shit andromeda strain i don't remember man last year's golden berries were a fever dream has the andromeda strain won more golden berries than alien did oh jesus this is like the raspberries you know what i mean like yeah yeah. Yeah, we have to come up with a different name for this uh scrap it right uh all right. Well, I think I've ripped on that movie quite enough, so I will uh, then toss to our next segment, uh, which sounds like it's going to be pretty fun to talk about. Harry? Hey, it's me again, your boy, Remix, uh, in the sense that we had an order and no longer do because this was my idea. Um, this is Best Score. Um <laughs> It, we don't talk probably enough about the music in these movies, which is kind of a shame uh, because um, we all love movie scores quite a lot and we love talking about them. I think that it's it can be difficult to talk about the way that scores can underline and enhance and even complicate a movie's themes um, without 
having the score there to consult and listen to, right? It's just sort of talking about music is not um, very natural, at least for me, I guess. Um, I don't consider myself a particularly good music critic. Um, music criticism is, is difficult, etc. I don't know why I'm talking about this so much. Um, but that being said, there were several movies this year that, that had either really notable um, scores, uh, scores that sort of like contributed in really meaningful ways to the movie's themes or just scores that we remember liking a lot and talked about a lot. Um, I will say, you know, there's a pretty obvious winner here uh, if you've paid attention to our sort of um, output this year, but the uh, nominees are all uh, Sorcerer, which was done by the uh, the band um, Tangerine Dream, who also did the Thief soundtrack. We talked about this soundtrack uh, a little bit on that episode. It's Dynamite. Uh, you should check it out. Um, Black Magic 2, which has this like wild 70s sort of funk score that feels deeply at odds with uh, the the movie's sort of like like back to roots exploring like the dark ancient secrets of of magic in this uh this former uh village now city but actually kind of works when you consider uh the exchange between those two things um we've got after hours which has uh the scorsese movie which has this really like um sort of mischievous uh score that i really like a lot because like the movie itself it it like it's so mysterious and suggestive like there's something just out of out of reach that you're missing. Like there, there's a circle that's not quite connecting. There's something being, there's, there's a conspiracy happening, right? Some, somebody, something, some force is out to get this guy. I think the score really sells that in a major way. Um, and finally the Thomas crown affair, which, uh, has this like really great seventies jazzy, uh, soundtrack that, that really works well for that weird, sexy sort of like, um, dry, uh, not very action-packed 70s fever dream movie. And it also has uh, The Windmills of Your Mind by uh, Noel Harrison, which I believe was actually uh, written and recorded for that movie, much like Leonard Cohen uh, wrote and recorded The Stranger for um, uh, for uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller last year. Um, and that song won a Grammy Um despite just like being a movie score song, it's a great song. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. So I thought we would shout that out. Um, but finally, uh, the obvious, um, sort of 800 pound, um, contender in this arena is, uh, Ganjin Hess, Sam Wayman's masterpiece soundtrack. I think we all own it on vinyl. Uh, and so like, it's, we all it's bought pretty it on clear vinyl. who the yeah, fucking, uh, yeah, the winner here is. So, uh, I mean, you know, uh, spoilers, I guess. It, we talked to Sam Wayman. Um, I think he's a genius. Uh, that soundtrack is absolutely, uh, like, integral to that movie's themes in a way that, like, many soundtracks aren't uh, to this day. Um, I just think it's brilliant. Um, so we can talk about all of these scores. I'm going to go ahead and throw my vote in for Ganja and Hess. I don't imagine that I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that. Uh, yes, Jason. I, I'm going to go for a black magic too. No explanation. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but like the more and more that I thought about Ganja and Hess and the deeper we got into that music, you know, owning it, listening to it, talking to the person who composed and recorded it. That movie is equal parts in my mind, music and film. It's like, it's not that it's just complimented by, it is that it is an essential, completely like integral, vital part of the movie. Like if you replaced it with anything else or took it out, 
or you know used it in spots where it's not currently it would be a radically different film and that to me is why like i again i vote for ganja hess because it is it is not so much a soundtrack as it is just another part of the movie to me and i don't know how many times that happens in a movie where it doesn't feel like a shtick you know like musicals uh or you know like like a baby driver type where it's oh everything's rhythmic everything's working in in concert with the music that's a shtick that's that's part of the gimmick this is something that just so naturally developed alongside the story and alongside the way that this movie is made and this kind of story it's telling that it is impossible for me to separate the two yeah uh i i will also uh vote for ganja and hess if there was an award that was called uh best score that made me want to wear uh cool colorful button-up shirts black magic 2 would be winning it uh yeah that, that soundtrack i think the first time that there was like well, well so we watched black magic 1 and then black magic 2 and the scores are similarly kind of funky weirdo uh uh kind of grooves and i think just the first time in black magic 1 that like a baseline hit in a scene where it didn't really make too much sense i think we all just like just kind of went wild over the discord chat <laughs> like it was such like i would love to own the score to black magic 2 on vinyl and just like uh, just like just get a lot of carpet on my walls you know what i mean like get some get some shade, like, black out all <laughs> white get, get, you, know? a, a, you can't really pull off because you're a white guy but you're gonna wear them anyway because of yeah, the music get sunglasses really to match yeah get a get a recessed living room to where it's like dropped into the floor yeah one of those look man i just thought we'd vibe you come by just bring some food dude we'll vibe it's cool and i just put on the soundtrack black magic too black magic too uh yeah ganjan hess wins the category i don't think that's much of a surprise um yeah i i own the score on vinyl and i don't even have the means of to play it uh that should say a lot about um how much that soundtrack uh whips ass um the i guess if i had uh, a runner-up i was kind of flipping through doing some youtube surfing prior to recording tried to reacquaint myself with these scores um sorcerer is probably my runner-up um maybe in part of because it's so recent compared to the rest of these and because i also watched thief for the first time somewhat recently and so that noise is very um i guess familiar in and it's kind of bouncing around my brain still i don't have a I don't, I'm not qualified to really talk about music either. I'm not great at it. Um, that is a low key goal of mine um, is to pay better attention to that sort of thing. But um, yeah, a, lo- a lot of good scores here uh, that windmills in your mind song from Thomas crown affair, hearing that again for the first time in like a year when we watched that at the trial and was such a rush to my senses in its own way. Um, what a good experience. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Uh, I would, I would shout out, it didn't get nominated, and I think maybe everybody else here hates it. Uh, I would not ever listen to it outside of watching the movie, but I, I do think that the uh, the Wang Chung soundtrack for To Live and Die in L.A. kind of perfectly encapsulates it that movie. It works really well. Um, it, yeah. It's kind of shit, though. Like, I, I hate... I talked about this on the episode, but I do hate... Just I pretty much hate most stuff from the 80s, and that is the most 80s thing. Uh, it, so it, it works weirdly well, given how much of that movie hates everything, too. Uh, so yeah. shout out to it's, that it's one. But. Like, it's almost like Friedkin fucking hated Wink, uh, that band yeah. and just asked them to make a soundtrack that he knew would be, like, grating. But, like, you know, it, it's funny, right? Because it's like, that's brilliant, but it's also a bad soundtrack. <laughs> Because it, like, should be, right? Yeah. I would not want to own that one 
uh, on vinyl, I don't think. Uh, and, and lastly, uh, Ganjin Hess, I will say, I know we're we're all privileged because we got to talk to the, the person who made the soundtrack and all that. I think even without all that, this would still win for me. I think this Absolutely. is not a case of uh, access we had to, to talk about it in the episodes, the special episode we did. I think that this would win regardless for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's what Jason said, right? It's just like it elevates and becomes as important to the idea of what the movie is saying as the movie itself. Though there are two pieces of art that that become more than the sum of their parts by working together um, and integrating, and that's like what a soundtrack should do. Um, I think it's like one of the great movie soundtracks ever, probably. For sure. Uh, congratulations to Ganja and Hess for winning the Tri Love. Uh, Golden Berry for Best Score 2020. What's our next category, Harry? Harry? I, yeah, I'm oh my sorry. God, I Harry. Oh, God, no! I lost my space. I, was, I, was got, I got got by Wing Chun for saying that, that mean thing about them. Um, <laughs> the next thing is uh, going to be brought to you by the Chicago <laughs> Kid himself. It's Aaron Grossman. Take it away, hey. Chicago Kid. Yes, Chicago Kid. Uh, Chicago Kid here. Uh, we're going to talk about the Trilon movie we're saddest about not recording on. So this is uh, movies that we saw at the Trilon or p- just played at the Trilon that we either uh, just did not get a chance to record on uh, for some reason or that none of us were able to catch and then also not able to record on. Uh, so the uh, nominations this year go to Close Up, goes to Pitfall, Women in the Dunes, Woman in the Dunes, uh, Taste of Cherry, and Whitnail and I. Uh, we've talked about uh, some of these movies in the past. Uh, I guess I'll just I'll start off real quick uh, just by saying that Whitnail and I is a uh, comedy film that uh, I know that I should have seen. It has been on my 2C list for uh, a decade at this point. I am just like wacky comedy guy. Uh, I grew up watching a lot of those kinds of movies. And that was always one that was, I knew that I should watch it and it played at the Trilon and I wasn't able to probably because of coronavirus or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't able to catch it and I'm bummed that I was not able to catch it. And I would have loved to talk about it, especially in a year like this, we saw, you know, a fish called Wanda and recorded on that. I think that we've recorded on uh, plenty of kind of humorous movies this year and we're able to talk about them well. And it's a, it's a bummer. We didn't catch that one. Uh, yeah, I echo that um, completely, uh, or mostly completely. I've seen everything, uh, or I saw all the movies on this list uh, at some point, uh, running up to uh, a few hours ago, except for With Nail and I. I should say, um, all of these, I believe, are on the Criterion channel actively. Um, uh, like, they're not part of, like, ones that are slates that are brought in for a couple months and then shipped out. I I feel like all of these are mainstays, and they may all have Criterion releases at this point. Um, with Nell and I, I'm, I'm not as Sean, but with Nell and I, um, looking ahead to the Criterion channels, uh, they don't have ad space here. I'm just doing this because I'm a simp, um, or I'm simping, whatever the grammatically correct way is. Um, but I think both are correct. Okay, a, nice. A simp is one who simps, so by simping, you are therefore a simp. Ah, perfect. Thank you. Um, with Nail and I did get added uh, kind of more formally to the Criterion Channel's January 2021 uh, programming. Um, they sort of, they sometimes do like a short and feature team up. Um, the theme of this one is Bottoms Up. Um, <laughs> the short uh, that With Nail and I is getting paired with is The Pub by Joseph Pierce. Um, 
I don't really know a lot about that pairing or why they would be paired together, but that's something I intend to check out uh, because I didn't get a chance to uh, this year. So I figured I would just uh, kill some time and throw that out there um, with Mel and I. Shout out. Um, there are a lot of really good picks on this list. Um, I've already talked about Kiarostami a, a bit. Um, I would have loved to have talked about Close Up. I think we really could have gone places with it. That's maybe the movie I'm most intimidated to talk about because I think that there's like a whole lot there. And I think we really would have had to roll up our sleeves. So it's it's funny. Um, I'm almost not sad about not recording on it because it's I, I would be scared to record on it, I guess. Um Similarly, A Taste of Cherry is a, a brilliant movie, in my opinion. Um, I'm really sad we didn't get to talk about that because it's divisive. Um, Roger Ebert famously, famously loathes that movie, considered it one of his least favorite ever, wrote a scathing review of it. Uh, I think longtime listeners will know I love to I love to go at uh, Roger Ebert. So it would have been really fun to take him to task for that dog shit opinion of his um, because Taste of Cherry is wonderful and uh, beautiful. Um Woman in, Woman in the Dunes uh, is similarly like I, I that might have been like a two hour long movie, right? Just unpacking everything it has to say about uh, capitalism and um, self-worth under capitalism and under uh, any sort of economic social structures that that make our value about what we produce um, and existentialism therein. Uh, and what it means to live a good life and how all of those things intersect with with the human sort of natural urges to identify as something and to find a life's purpose. Um, I think that Woman in the Dunes is a beautiful movie with a lot to say about those things. It's also a very frustrating, hard movie. Um, but all of that being said, uh, I think my pick is Pitfall. Uh, Do because- it. Because of what Aaron had been saying about it, um, which is that like it hit us at a really strange, sad time uh, for the both of us. And it was a challenging movie and an upsetting movie in a lot of ways. A movie that as I was walking out of it, especially because uh, I had a complicated relationship with Teshigahara, having not loved uh, The Face of Another, it was a movie I didn't even know if I liked. Um Aaron was like exuberant about it, which helped. And then I thought a lot about it and I read some about it and I liked it more, but like I was in such a place after that movie that I didn't know what I felt about it. Uh, I didn't really know how to rank it or even really how to approach it. And I think that I am picking pitfall for my saddest to not record about because I really would have liked to have processed those feelings uh, about the movie and about sort of, uh, the shall we say political circumstances and climate surrounding it um, with all of you. Um, but one of the reasons we didn't record about it is because uh, quarantine started like right after that. And so we were all really thrown for a loop. Right. And so there's sort of a, um, to use our favorite vocab word, there's sort of a ontological aspect to it too. Right. Where it's like in an, in a world where uh, the COVID-19 didn't happen or government response was, was uh, correct and valued uh, human life and citizenry and all of that. Maybe we there was a world where we all could have seen Pitfall and talked about it, right? But that isn't the world we live in. And so that's something I'm, I'm sad about itself. And so I guess all of those emotions come together to make me uh, think that Pitfall is my choice and my vote this time around. Yeah, I, I Pitfall is also my number one. Um, that would have been that, that's one that I, I do. I wish we had frankly even recorded on it because uh, Harry and I saw that together. And correct me if I'm wrong, but but I believe 
there was only one or two showings, and I believe Jason and Cody just weren't able to make it to. Yeah, I uh, think they were. Showings. They were just. They were busy. They were busy that day. day. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally busy that day. Uh, and I, I kind of wanted to. I remember Harry and I had, uh, had texted or we sent messages to the group chat about like, eh, we could just do like a Harry and Aaron episode. We could just bang it out real quick and then and then have that kind of as like a buffer uh, in the future. Um, that would have been, I think, the only other one we would have done like that would have been Queen Scotsy, uh, which was another uh, episode where I think we kind of. Uh, just kind of ranted uh, for for the entire recording time of of talking about that movie. Um, yeah, Pit, Pitfall to me is one where it, it encapsulated so much of the bullshit going on outside of the Trilon that I really, really needed to feel that I really needed to just like go into like the recording booth and just like rant about stuff. I know that maybe wouldn't have made a good episode or a good analysis of the movie, but it like just, I got so swept up in the fact that I saw this movie when this stuff was happening um, that, that like, this is like far and away number one for me. Um, I really wish we had recorded an episode, even if it was just like two of us talking about it for like 45 minutes or whatever. I, I, I still think it would have been valuable, but it's a bummer that everybody yeah. didn't see it and we weren't able to get into the recording booth on it. Uh, I'm going to lead this off by saying, ultimately, I think I agree with my other two, uh, with the two co-hosts of mine who uh, just cast their vote for Pitfall. I feel like I'm in that camp as well, which is not something I expected. Um, I did watch Pitfall today. Uh, I'm very proud of that fact. I'm going to say it a couple more times before we're done recording. Um, but I watched it because I had extra time this morning and I didn't want to sit and think about recording. And so I pitfall was on my watch list in part because I knew it was on, uh, you know, the trial on slate way back when I added it back in, you know, uh, in March, um, around the time Harry and Aaron had sought and I couldn't make it. Um, and it just kind of sat there and every once in a while I'd think about watching it and I watched it today, not with the intent of having it lead into, uh, or kind of play into whatever collective decisions that um, I or we would be making about these awards. Um, but having watched it, I can sort of, and also hearing about where Harry and Aaron were at um, just in the the time when they were watching it, um, uh, the time and space rather than the current events and things like that. I Just imagining that conversation um, leads me to think that that's the one that I regret us most not talking about. Um, Close Up is my favorite film from this list. And um, like that and Woman in the Dunes and Taste of Cherry, for that matter, I imagine we would have had really uh, beautiful, engaging conversations about these movies, which are beautiful, engaging. Um, there's something about the material uh, and it's something that Harry and Aaron have gestured at. And too, I'm not going to speak too much about it just for the purposes of time and the aforementioned haven't marinated with it too much yet, but there's something about that content that I feel like would have led to a conversation that maybe I am slightly more favoring of just with, within our group. I, I, I'm just imagining a conversation where we would have popped off about certain things in a way that would be <laughs> a, a really good, um, stressful, um, but really good time. So ultimately I'm casting my vote for pitfall as well. I cast my vote for Pitfall as the movie I'm going to watch first from this list. Hell because yeah. I nice. Hard haven't seen it. I, I understand. I've, I've, I just read your review. Uh, so I think I know what I'm getting into. Wink. All right. 
we've got a couple more oh, categories what here. What we're getting into is, uh, Cody, do you want to introduce the next topic of uh, conversation? Yeah, I, I would love to. Um, if you hear any um, humming in the background, it's my poor little laptop getting overworked by all the, t- all the tabs that I just opened up to make sure I get these right, uh, because we are talking about the best film series at the Trilon next. Um, have to do a little bit of extra research just because the Trilon website is uh, pretty inconsistently kept with all of their historical showings um, and showtimes. Their cataloging uh, it, it could use... Um, could use some work. Hell um, yeah, I'll, get their ass, dude. Uh, yeah, let's fucking trash the fucking Trilon, dude. Or Trilon. I'm just, I'm just saying, look, if, if if they need a guy, I you know I work in forty dollars an hour. Like I, yeah, I, you know, I'm you know, call me. They they have my email address that they can call me at. Um, that doesn't work. Anyways, uh, the best films here is at the Trilon. Um, first up, we have uh, Abbas Kiristami. Um, hope I said that right. Uh, I accept uh, that I'm a piece of shit and I don't know, but um, the Kurostami movies that we've uh, alluded to and explicitly mentioned by name, um, from what I can tell, these were just close up and taste of cherry. Um, so shout out to those. That's our first one. Uh, next up, the William Friedkin series. Uh, by the way, all of these probably had cooler names. We're just going by director uh, and or actor names um, for these just for ease of digestion. Um, but William Friedkin is our next one. Um, French Connection, Sorcerer, uh, To Live and Die in LA, Cruising. I think that was all of them. Any any of the fellas, feel free to... Feel free to... to yeah, that's, I think that's the four. That's correct, yeah. yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, next up, we have the John Woo series, which was The Killer, Hard Target, Face Off, Hard Boiled, and A Better Tomorrow. Um, I believe that was all of them. Um, You're a mad yeah. lad for naming the films in each of these series, despite Seriously. the fact that they're not cataloged anywhere. I would have just read the series... You're, you, you, thank well, you for the effort. Yeah, I, for for Kiristami, I pulled from a Facebook post with the the series poster on it. Friedkin, Jesus I, Christ, I pieced it fucking together. digging. These are Cody's noties. The pals, the um, mad lad did it. Letterboxed. Yeah, I'm a wild one. Um, next up, uh, number four, Hiroshi Teshigahara, um, the face of another um, pitfall and woman in the dunes. Um, the holy trinity and finally number five we have the barbara stanwick series the only one here um i believe that yeah i'm we recorded on all those movies um it was just three of them sorry wrong number double indemnity and remember the night um so those are these series I, in contention i think there was one more that we didn't record on right uh yeah you're right i could probably look for that too um talk amongst yourselves while i look for that in the background it's um, uh it's it's got to be for me it's got to be uh john woo that was Going I feel that. like that was that oh, that yeah. was that was a series that was a filmmaker I had never seen anything from uh, and always knew that I should you know I, I grew up without a whole lot of the eighties and nineties action cinema influence uh, so just being able to penetrate that and penetrate it completely like having seen like some of his most popular and well known movies was just such a treat you know and it's kind of like Aaron was saying it puts a structure around things it's almost like you know. When I was home for Thanksgiving, I picked up a like I found a bunch of old papers from college, and I found the list of movies that we watched in my intro to film class, which got me thinking more critically about movies and how I was watching them and stuff. And what and it made me realize like how important the Trilon programming and sort of their curation is to my experience with these movies. And the John Woo series was just an embodiment of that, where I had like no idea where to start with this filmmaker, so I just probably never was going to unless forced to, but. Having like ourselves and our guest Dan Nagan, who appeared for a couple of episodes in the series, uh, was just 
it was a perfect way for me to really get get a handle around John Woo's work. Now I can comfortably play the PlayStation Three game Stranglehold and feel like <laughs> I know I'm 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 on just pretty good. Even for yeah, it's not bad. Uh, yeah, shout out to Dan uh, for joining us. Uh, yeah, he's a great guest. Uh, love to have Dan on the pod. And uh, yeah, and listen to his podcast, Everything We Learned. Yeah, uh, I, I will say I am kind of of two minds on this. Uh, the the two that I am kind of fighting between here uh, is the the William Friedkin series and the John Woo series. I think they they both kind of embody two different approaches to. Uh, film programming. Uh, I'm not a film programmer. So John Moret, if he's listening to this is probably, you know, uh, what is this guy talking about? Right. But when I think he's of not. like, the, yeah, when I think of the, the film series that the Trilon does, there's kind of two different ways, like approaches there, there's the, the Kurosawa approach, right. Where they play kind of a lot of the greatest hits uh, with a few kind of deep cuts from directors. Right. Um, you know, the John Woo series, they played face off, they played uh, the killer. They played most of the like big movies that you probably should see if you're getting into John Woo, right? And then they played some other ones uh, like maybe A Better Tomorrow or Hard Target that are maybe uh, well known, but maybe like a little more under the surface. Um, and I think that's a great way to approach kind of viewing films as uh, from like an educational standpoint. I think the Friedkin series is interesting because. Uh, that series very clearly lacked the the biggest and probably best film that the Friedkin has made, right? The Exorcist was not in that series. Um, but by not having that film, I think that series actually brings me something else that I often want from the Trilon, which is the discovery of something new uh, from an, from an easy kind of branching off point, right? Like a lot of people have seen the Exorcist. A lot of people know about the Exorcist. Um, but apart from kind of a, a general knowledge of to live and die in LA, that is a film that I probably would not have seen uh, if it weren't for this film series. Same thing about Sorcerer, which is a very well-known movie and kind of a cult classic, um, but it is a movie that I am I am happy uh, that I got to see with this kind of programming, right? And I think that for for that series, The French Connection was kind of the, the kind of intro point, and then there were like these two other films that like branched off um, and cruising as well. Uh, those are all films that like, once you've seen the French connection, once you've even seen the exorcist, these are, these are films to get even deeper into this, uh, filmmakers, um, you know, kind of catalog. So I don't know. I'm kind of split. I could go either way, I guess. Yeah. Um, re- real quick. Um, first thing, uh, Christmas in Connecticut was the other film in the standard. Thank you. Series. Um, yeah. Thank you for the reminder that we did not in fact record on all of them. That was one that, I think for scheduling purposes, we just kind of booted out. Um, has a three point five on Letterbox, and it is uh, rent uh, rentable through the normal streaming platform. So maybe consider that if you we are. Ch- a- I believe um, uh, we had to choose between that and Remember the Night, and we chose Remember the Night. And hey, maybe we made a mistake. <laughs> maybe we did. Um, yeah, it sounds like the other one also uh, was vaguely Christmassy. Um, so I don't know. Maybe in a different reality, we had uh, a separate, um, unique experience with that is my scientific take of the day. Um, I'm in the uh, similar camp as Aaron. I'm more more or less between John Woo and William Friedkin as the, um, I think respectively, John Woo is my number one with Friedkin being sort of a 1A. Um, I hadn't thought about kind of what into the went into the film programming i appreciated aaron's uh admittedly you know amateur by definition take but um i i think what he the covered fuck? it uh, I, he covered it in a way that um is probably better than anything i could articulate um i i it comes down to a really 
like individual experience for me. Um, I think I can sense what we all kind of collectively got out of do uh, covering these series, um, these two series uh, in the extent that we did. Um, the John Woo series allowed me to uh, rediscover, uh, I guess a few like face off and hard boiled were movies that I'd seen before face off, but pretty recently. And I was kind of annoyed that I had watched it for the first time, um, on Netflix or some shit. And then four months later watched it for the pod. Um, but, uh, like seeing that movie in a theater full of people and kind of getting renewed context for the experience that movie can offer was really valuable. Um, and the fact that we got to talk about it with our, our dapper Dan man, um, was a really nice, uh, you know, uh, a really nice addition to that. Um, hard boiled as well was, uh, a movie that I, it was sort of the inverse, like seeing movies like the killer and hard target. And then following that up, um, you know, a few weeks later with hard boiled, it offered, like unique, good contextualization for John Woo's kind of like his high level, you know, most popular entries in his filmography. Um, and it kind of knocked hard boiled down a few pegs for me, um, which is fine. It's an experience I still liked. I, and all of these movies, um, the only one, I mean, hard target and a better tomorrow are also movies that, uh, I enjoyed watching. I enjoyed watching all the movies in this and the Friedkin slate. Um, but f- from what I got, uh, as an individual out of the John Woo series, that's what kind of gives it uh, a bit of an edge for me. And, and that it kind of harkens back to, um, you know, us, what we like to get out of going to the trial and what we like to get out of these series. I got, um, things from a few different, uh, I took from a few different ideologies and a few different camps of, you know, these are things that I'd seen before and, and got very distinctly new things from them. And the, and, you know, I, on the other side i watched the killer and hard target which are two new all-time favorites for me um and that was great in its own different way yeah um i first of all i should uh shout out the two um or at least two of the series that we haven't talked about as much um i'm infinitely grateful uh to the trilon for putting on a kiarostami series because i think he's as i said one of my new favorite directors um i had never heard of him before the trilon um and so like i didn't get to see a lot of the movies that that played at the trilon of his i saw taste of sherry later um for instance and i only saw close up but um so like in in terms of like best film series i'm hard pressed not to personally choose kirostami because like that was a, a situation where i learned something new from the trilon that i now cherish um on almost an inverse level uh the I really appreciate the Teshigahara film series because Teshigahara is a director I've been meaning to get into for a long time. Um, Jason and I have been pretty upfront about our particular sensibilities vis-a-vis uh, Japan. Um, and so I'd, I've been looking forward to getting into Teshigahara for a long time. So it was really great to be able to see his movies in that context, even if they ended up being uh, complicated and creepy and often not what I expected uh, in good and bad ways. I ultimately came away feeling very enriched by that and very interested in him as well. Um, that being said, I think Friedkin and Wu are the two that uh, stick out to me the most as well. Um, one thing I really, really love about uh, 
John's approach to film uh, series curation is that like in both of those cases, he starts the series with like these Keystone movies, right? Where like, I think the movie to watch to understand John Woo is the killer and the movie to watch to understand Friedkin, or at least the Friedkin movies we saw is the French connection and being able to see those first and then talk about them first. It gave us such a template to follow for the subsequent movies. And I, I learned so much about both director's sensibilities. Um, I am personally going to give it to Wu for the simple sort of like uh, no no shade on Friedkin, um, totally outside the realm of probably this category uh, reason that we saw the Wu movies together and we saw them in the Trilon. Um, I think Cody and I saw Hard Boiled and Better Tomorrow back to back on a work night. Like we just did a double feature. Uh, that was a blast. Um, uh the the killer we watched with John and Sarah and the Cult Film Collective and that was a blast. Um, so I, I think I'm going to give it to Wu personally, but uh, there's not a single bad film series here, right? Even the Barbara Stanwyck series, which is almost unfortunately an afterthought because it's so recent and because it's not a director, so it's a bit more scattershot, right? By by nature, um, even that has some absolute bangers, right? Like Double Indemnity is a classic. Um, and Barbara Stanwyck is an amazing actress. Um, and so, uh, no, no bad picks, no wrong answers, but it's, it's woo for me, uh, I guess. Yeah, I will shout out. I, I do not think that the, I, I don't think that, that the Stanwyck films are going to win this. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel pretty confident. Uh, that being said, I do think that the, the the as a film series viewing an actor in that in that manner is kind of is a very interesting thing to do i think that barbara stanwick is is very clearly a fantastic actor um and i think that being able to view a film like double indemnity or sorry wrong number against uh a film like remember the night i think that even if i didn't love all of those movies i think that her acting in those movies uh is, is very good, first of all, but also kind of shows two different sides of Barbara Stanwyck, right? This more serious kind of film noir uh, actress and then this kind of uh, more comedic actress. Um, I think that that, that is a, a great way to uh, do film programming in order to highlight the career of somebody if, if you only have to pick, because um, she was fairly prolific, right? But if you have to pick three or four movies, I think that that is a, a great series of films um, in order to do so. So shout out to the Stanwyck series. I like it a lot. I don't think it, it hangs with with some of the other ones here. Um, I, I will say that uh, I think personally I would go with Friedkin, but I'm willing to I'm willing to go to bat for John Woo here, just also due to the number of films in that series. I think it was what six total. Am I wrong there? I think that I if we're looking so. at yeah, if we're looking I, at I think I had five series. But- yeah, no, you're right. Am I, f- am I forgetting? Okay, well, five films. Uh, still no, it's, four. let's let's see. It's the killer, hard boiled, a better tomorrow, uh, face off, hard target. Is that all of them? Unless they're ones that we didn't watch, um, those are all the ones that I had. I thought, okay, I thought there was one, but regardless, you know, five films is I think. Uh, uh, and also, you know, there's a mix of, you mentioned the killer being kind of the quintessential Wu movie. I would agree. But if you're also going to watch Wu, I think you also need to watch uh, uh, foreign, foreign for him uh, productions with Face Off, right? Uh, which is a film in a different context with English speaking stars. Yeah, everyone um, should watch Face Off. <laughs> and, and him being able to kind of do this even crazier kind of uh, uh, 
spectacle film, but still pull it off arguably as well. Uh, I think that that's a, yeah, I would, I would go with the Wu series here, I guess. All right. Uh, so let's get a formal vote going. I vote John Wu. Aaron. I think we're all, I'm, yeah, I'm Wu. Is, that, I'm is everybody full Wu? Wu. I think woo, woo, team woo. Hashtag team Wu. All right. We got a we've winner been, for best film choice of the trial. By John Wu. Try Wu. Try Wu. We did we did do that, didn't we? Uh okay, so um clean clean break here. Uh that was our halfway point and we're an hour forty five <laughs> in. What what are, what are we doing with the remaining categories? Are we speed running them? Are we dropping one or two? We I don't think we can justify let's three go. hours. Let's go. I'm I think speed run. Let's, let's go. go. Let's go. I gotta use the bathroom, but yeah, let's go. Okay, the, okay, okay. so the, th- the thing about this one is it's very similar to the last uh, category because most of those were directors, and this is Best Director. So our Best Director lineup is Hiroshi Teshigahara, uh, Pitfall, um, Woman in the Dunes, and Face of Another. Uh, John Woo, the full John Woo series we just covered. William Friedkin, that's To Live and Die in L.A., French Connection, and uh, Sorcerer, and, um, sorry, um, Cruising. Uh, Bill Gunn, Ganjin Hess, Igmar Bergman, Seventh Seal. Uh, it's very funny that Igmar Bergman is on here, and he's probably not going to win. Um, but we're going to we're going to do it. Wait, so, so are we, we speed running? I, I I guess we are. Uh, who votes to Hiroshi Teshigahara? I'll I'll. Yeah. Didn't, okay, didn't that's you, one. Yeah, oh here's the thing. I don't just want to give it to John Woo again because I don't think he actually should win this. Uh, but no I one's going to go with me on Friedkin. So. I'm going to go with you on Friedkin. I'm, All right, I'm okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, or Bill Gunn. I mean, it's tough. Bill Gunn only had Ganjin Hess, so I don't have a great yeah. understanding of his filmography. Ganjin Hess is a masterpiece. I like Bill Gunn a whole lot. Uh, you know, okay. I think if we so, are we are we are looking at the directors given their slate at the trial on, I think that Bill Gunn and Igmar Bergman are clearly fantastic directors, but you know, we, we, the films that embodied these, these directors, I think that we, it's kind of has to be, in my opinion, between Teshigahara, Wu or Friedkin. Yeah. And I I would go Friedkin. I would also go Friedkin because I I think I learned the most about him and was the most surprised uh, by his, his films. Um, And, uh, sort of what that implies about maybe like Hollywood history, right? I think Friedkin is the last guy I would expect to have made the kinds of movies that we ended up watching, especially movies like To Live and Die in L.A. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Friedkin has it for me. Um, I Maybe just a different way of saying what Harry just articulated, but I feel like with uh, those movies that we discussed, um, there were... I, I think conversations that were fostered that maybe scratched different, better itches for me than the, uh, with the exception of maybe Bill Gunn for Ganjan Hess, but that is uh, a singular work. We already kind of talked about that a little bit, but Friedkin has it uh, for me. I, for the reason that, uh, that Harry brought up, I'm going to go Friedkin. Um, I feel like he building a vocabulary with that director was a really great way to watch those films in that order, particularly it left. It's Freegan Friedkin, baby. It's Freegan, Billy Freegan. A freaking uh, good director. Freaking good That's director. Right. And now we're on to one that we probably shouldn't just skip through because it's one Absol- of the best categories. Absolutely and Jason, not. you're going to talk about it. I am Harry. Thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, the next category is for best guest. This was a phenomenal year for guest uh, placements on our show. We had a lot of fun times and, and free time to uh, to get people 
I guess it's been hard in past years to get people to uh, go to the try line with us or to take in a movie just the night before recording. So um, where we had a little bit of time, we decided to open the door to more guests this year. And uh, let me just run through. I don't remember if this is chronological or not, but we have Andy Smith of the Great Duck Theater. We uh, watched Parasite in Black and White and then recorded an episode of our podcast with him. Dan Nagan, who is, of course, part of our John Woo series. John Moret was on a couple of times to talk about the trial on. Uh, Kyle Olson was on our show uh, multiple times, starting with uh, Contagion, a movie I still haven't seen. Uh, Logan Lafferty helped us suss out Total Recall. He's seen it like 30 times. Seth Zarati was on our show several times, including for um, uh, starting with our episode on... 12 monkeys right this year 12 monkeys right. yes that's correct uh and has remained a stalwart guest uh charlie mackin matt yost jenny ackerson uh they were all part of our uh well coming episode uh, as well as individual episodes throughout the year uh john moret we have listed on this list twice which is unfortunate but he was on our yes. show more than once shout right. out to john moret yeah uh Matt Clark being our go-to heist guy and uh, I guess our touchstone samurai guy uh, was on our show a few times. Really glad to finally get him on the show after after being in contact with him uh, since last year, I think. Shout uh, outs Sarah, to Matt. Shout outs to Matt. Uh, Mad Minneapolis Matt. Um, Sarah Cienbe Huskin uh, uh, joined us for, of course... Uh, son of the white mare uh as an animator and as one quarter of the cult film collective was really important to helping me uh figure out what was so great about that movie uh taylor zastro joined us for 10 things i hate about you during our little rom-com uh special featuring oh i'm forgetting her name the lead actress julia styles julia Julia styles Styles. julia styles series why didn't we have her as a series um nick ransbottom joined us for a few horror films in october uh sam wayman of course he was he did something uh, and Griffin, Griffin Filipich, uh, ever the classic film, uh, I guess, uh, what was his? Aficionado. He yes. Yeah. He, he, well, Aficionado, he had a newsletter, right? About, he did. Um, about rom-coms. Yeah. And we had him on for Ninochka, uh for one of our first episodes we had him on. Uh, and he joined us to, um, to talk about Double Indemnity as well. That very horny, very, uh, very noir movie. And he read the book. In preparation, I read the fucking yeah, book. The Can fuck? you believe it? What, what a guest move! Uh, I I hate to say that this is a slam dunk category as well because I want to thank everybody again for joining us. Uh, they have no r- real reason to accept to you know talk films with friends, and I really love that we were able to leverage that love of movies to um to our benefit to yeah, help us create we, some really fun episodes. We really appreciated it, everybody. I you're the best. We love having guests. Please come on our show again, even though uh, we're going to we're going to give it to uh, the man himself. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to Jason Statham, um, the big celebrity guest. I do oh. have a, a quick <laughs> I have a quick recording here from him uh, to all of us. Oh, wow. Real quick. Hello. Hello. It is me once more. Jason Statham. Just like to let you all know how happy I am to receive the golden berry for best guest. Uh, this year, 2020, uh, you might think that being such a big international star such as myself, I don't have time f- to listen to podcasts, but I've listened to every episode. You all are my favorite podcast, and it is such an honor, of course, to have been named Best Guest. Lots of love. Looking forward to being a guest on many episodes in the future, perhaps for the next Fast and Furious film coming out sometime. I can't remember because it was supposed to come out this year, but for Corona. Thank you all, especially you, Cody. You've always been my favorite. Goodbye. 
Uh, thank, you, thank you so much for stopping, J- what? J- J- Jason. Jason, 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 other Jason. Can I can I get to one for one second? How do you feel? Uh, have you watched the Transporter in the last few years? I'm sorry, Jason. That was a pre. It was pre. Oh no! Yeah. It was. It was, it was so true to life. Right. She's a professional, you know. Should someone tell him that we were that he is not actually the winner of this? He's I don't. I don't really think it's necessary. It's a. Uh, no, you know, I think it's he's spirit. To every episode, he's going to listen to it. Mm, he doesn't so even sad. remember when his next movie comes out, so I don't think Good he's going to have a hard time with this one. Uh, of course, the uh, slam dunk hands down winner is going to be Sam Wayman uh, of Ganja and Hess fame. Uh, of course, brother to legendary soul singer Nina Simone and an activist uh, in his own right. Uh, that That's the most nuts version of things that could have happened in 2020, yeah. I think, is that we watched the movie. We found the guy on Twitter. We asked him and he said yes. And then boom. We put it together, we made it happen, and all of us, I feel like, all of us benefited from that guest uh, appearance hugely. He is very down-to-earth, very plain-spoken, but also very inspired and inspiring human. Uh, Wish him all the best this holiday season. Uh, I see he's still active on Twitter here and there, so I'm really glad that we got to do that. Uh, He was my absolute favorite guest of the year. Yeah, I mean, right. It's, It's sort of, you know, I like... I love all of our guests. If you only listen to one episode of this podcast, you should listen to the Sam Wayman interview, right? I mean, that guy is a, a living legend and like we got to talk to him. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense, right? <laughs> that we got to do that, but I'm so happy we did. Um, it's on YouTube too. Um, follow him on Twitter, watch Ganja and Hess, uh, listen to the Ganja and Hess soundtrack, um, listen to our conversation with him where he spells out exactly his sort of artistic approach. Uh, he's just a brilliant guy and it was such an honor to be able to talk to him um and yeah i like you know that's our best guest right it has to be <laughs> absolutely absolutely crazy i i love that category but we have several more categories to get through uh and our next one is uh gonna be introduced for, uh wait did i do i have two in a row no i don't uh best best try love sorry yeah I'm, I'm really bad at this uh aaron give us our next category i'm my uh, brain is frying yeah, this is just the favorite Trilove episode, which is a category that sounds fairly uh, annoying for us to deliberate about, I guess. But I think this was just supposed to be the one that we were uh, kind of the most proud of either kind of the circumstances around it or the the insights that we might have had or ones that we just thought back to and listened and went like we I think we really killed that episode. Like, nice job, fellas. Um, so the category or the nominations for this category here uh, are going to be the uh aforementioned Sam Wayman interview episode, uh, the Rebels of the Neon God episode that was the uh, Trial of in the Time of Corona, uh, the Warriors, uh, the episode where we discussed uh, watching Parasite and Black and White uh, at the Grey Duck Theater, and then also talked to Andy Smith as well uh, about kind of running that theater and his experiences doing that. Uh, the episode recorded about Son of the White Mare, and lastly, uh, the episode about Shop Around the Corner. Excellent. Um, so I think I managed to get shop around the corner on there because I listened to it prior to making this episode. Uh, I would obviously, I would obviously take it, take it aside and make it a number two or three to some of the other great nominees here. Uh, but my criteria are like, where were we when we started making the episode and where were we when we finished and how did our ideas like bounce off of each other? Not necessarily what was the most listenable, not necessarily what was the shortest or tightest, but what, like what, what understandings came from our episode that for which the episode was absolutely essential where like what ideas, what had the best ideas, what had the best outcome and understanding that we would not have had without 
sitting down and thinking about this movie and talking about it together. So, uh, for me, like the opportunity that was created within the confines of our podcast to speak to Sam Wayman, that takes it for me. I think we're probably all in agreement of that. Um, even though it's not necessarily those criteria that I just laid out, uh, it is something that like, I would have never gotten to speak to somebody of his caliber or him at all. If not for, you know, the fact that we sat down and and consistently made this podcast for a while. Um, so Sam Wayman for me. Yeah, it's going to be Sam Wayman for me. Um, but I, we should talk about some of these other episodes, right? So like, you know, uh, the Rebels of the Neon God was a really great episode. Uh, Jenny joined us for that. She did respectfully concede from the race for best guest, which I appreciate um, in favor of Sam Wayman. So shout outs to Jenny would have been a, a stiff opponent for sure. Uh, that was just a great episode. I think it was super great to talk to her. It was super great to talk to all of you about it. Um, in terms of like where we came away, that was uh, definitely a great example of an episode where like my thesis on the movie really came together as we talked about it, which is my favorite thing about doing this podcast, right? Is that like you had said, Jason, like we start in one place or maybe our thoughts are scattered and our thoughts play off of one another and we agree or disagree or discourse. And eventually we all come out in a different place. Um, I really value this podcast for that. Um, the warriors is a similar one. That was just a really fun conversation between, uh, you, me and Aaron, um, loved it. Um, parasite and black and white deserve special mention. Uh, we're really, really grateful to Andy Smith, right? Uh, he is the owner and uh, proprietor of the gray duck theater, which is a, uh, movie theater in, um, coffee house in Rochester. We actually got to drive down there. Uh, we got to watch parasite, which is one of my all time favorite movies. And then talk to him in the movie theater about running the, the place and, uh, about parasite. Uh, he's just a really cool dude. Uh, really interested in, um, keeping the art and, uh, science of movie theaters alive and in, uh, repertory cinema. And, um, you should definitely check out the gray duck, right? Like it's a really cool place. Um, it was really funny. We got to take a road trip down there. I was like, wow, this is the beginning of a great year. This is going to be so awesome. And then, uh, (laughs) you know, everything else happened. Um, Son of the White Mare with Sarah was fantastic. Um, Shop, you know, they're all great episodes. Uh, I really, really loved our Son of the White Mare episode. I'm really, really glad we got to talk to Sarah. She's so brilliant and an actual animator. Um, So it was like, like a Sam Wayman type uh, conversation where it's just like, this person is far too qualified to be talking to us, but I'm so glad that she did. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, like, I think Sam Wayman is a, is a genius, uh, and I can't believe we got to talk to him. So that's my pick, personally. Uh, yeah, echoing sentiments. Uh, it's the Sam Wayman episode uh, for me as well. Um, again, if you've been paying any attention to us uh, these last handful of months, um, shouldn't come as too big of a shock. Um, did want to give a few additional um, uh minutes to the the gray duck theater episode where we watched parasite black and white movies make us feel all right etc um it was a uh bizarre world bending experience to uh road trip down with the fellas back to my hometown um 
and go to this theater that I'd been to once before. It has um, sprouted up. It's started um, since I stopped living in Rochester. It's been up for a couple of years now as a movie house and a coffee house. Um, there are different ways to support them and to support uh, Andy Smith. Um, in quarantine, he has uh, started a, uh, a YouTube channel for book uh, reviews and discussions, um, which uh, is cool. Um, he streamed among us with some other booktubers at some point. So there's something for all the gamers too, um, which I now I'm apparently a part of, um, but going down there and like my parents were at that movie screening as well. Um, Jenny and our, uh, one of our other friends, Jordan, like made the trip down separately to watch this movie. It was such a harmonious, beautiful intersection of like a lot of different, uh, areas of my life and, uh, and that episode is is special to me for those and other reasons but i i did want to shout that out that 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 was in its own way a really brilliant um unique thing that we were able to do with this brilliant unique uh thing that we try to do every week um but yeah the the sam wayman episode that conversation is otherworldly it's one of the coolest things i will probably ever be a part of um so special mention and recognition needs to be given to that i think yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out real quick, Andy Smith. Uh, he is his YouTube channel is Andy Smith uh, on YouTube. Um, he appears to be doing pretty well numbers wise. Uh, but yeah, he he reviews fan- mostly fantasy books and whatnot, and, and talks about uh, them. And it, it seems to be quite good. He does have a Patreon as well. So uh, yeah, shout out to uh, Andy Smith. We should get him back on the pod soon. That being said, yeah, gotta give it to Sam Wayman. Maybe Andy Smith will start a podcast, and we can be on it someday. Jason, there's 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 something that that you need to to introduce, however, here for Thank our you. Next topic. I was hoping you would have a better intro than no, I, Jason. I so didn't. <laughs> hey, hey, J- hey, Jason, what's our next uh, topic, man? Our next topic uh, is focusing on, you know, in the course of making this podcast, there have been pieces that have gone away, pieces that have come in. We've adapted. We've made. We've made the show around what we what we have we around the materials and resources that we have one one resource we have is a veritable embarrassment of riches and it is it is a little segment that harry and i uh like to call would you help me ring it in i would love to jason nothing would make me happier it is a segment we call <gasps> Cody's Cody's Nobies. Nobies. And this segment is going to honor the best of those of 2020. Uh, Cody, I don't think it's an understatement to say that Cody really kicked up his game this year, uh, making literal games at times for his uh, segment Cody's Noties near the end of every episode of Trilove. Uh, and sometimes it's trivia, sometimes it's off the wall, sometimes it's Mad Libs, but we had a hell of a time participating in Cody's Noties uh, as a participatory sport this year. Um, so the nominees for Best Cody's Noti, and Cody is not going to get a vote here, uh, conflict of interest, I hope you understand. Uh, we have the inaugural Tri-Libs, which is uh, our spin, or sorry, Cody's spin on Mad Libs, uh, in working within elements of the plot of the movie that we've had, uh, that we've been discussing and interjecting a little bit of our own personality into it from episode 79 about the lady killers. Uh, we had an episode, excuse me, we had a Cody's notice about, uh, genre deep dives that appeared in our episode 93 about William Friedkin's sorcerer, uh, Harry's triumphant comeback in episode 89, which God, I, I, I hate this thing uh, about, about invisible man. It was the, the mad dog himself, smiling H. Uh, rom-com goofs in episode 84 on 10 things I hate about you. 
uh, more like 10 things I love about that segment and uh, w- a more recent uh, Willem de friend or Willem Dafoe, where we tried to identify if, uh, if Willem Dafoe had a, uh, a friendly or a, or a combative um, experience on the set of certain films in his, in his filmography from our episode 94 about to live and die in LA. Uh, obviously a, a great starring role for Willem Dafoe. Uh, now listen guys, I know we're short on time. And I know that we've got a lot of ground to cover here. I don't want to take away from Cody's noties. This is my favorite segment of all, of course, uh, of course. But I think we all know what the answer is here, right? And I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on it. So I think we can just say congratulations. Harry's triumphant oh, combat episode 89, Invisible Man. I, uh, I have. behind victory. Yeah, much I like the climactic scene of a great wrestling match. You thought I was out. You thought I was down. You thought it was Jason, never going to happen. we can't let him do this, can we? Then we can't let him. No, he, he, he will not. He will not use It is not. It is not his segment. Took, it is not his category. It's not. It's not right. yours. You are not. You will not usurp this, Jason. This, this is this to honor my boy is Cody. About Cody. And I, when I think about Cody, I think about uh, I think about his love of films, his love of movies. I think about his his love for uh, what some people might call dad jokes. You know, kind of goofy humor. Uh, you know, uh, puns, things of that nature. And his love of the actor, Willem Dafoe, a great actor who was honored uh, in the segment, Willem Friend or filmed Willem Dafoe, where Cody also got mm-hmm. to talk about the Spider-Man movies. Now, what is more representative of our love for Cody than the segment, Willem Friend or Willem Dafoe? I, I think that has to be the clear I, winner. Respect I to Harry for winning that one trivia game. But Jason, you with me, right? I'm I'm with you about Willem Dafoe or Willem Dafoe. It was captivating. It was uh, awe-inspiring. It really brought me into the episode uh, even more than I already was. That was a great episode to record with you all. Uh, and and I must say, knowing that that I forget if it's a magnet or a chip clip. What is it, um, Cody? That you, and you're allowed to chime in for this segment. Uh, what is it that you have in your home that is the confusingly large? Uh, yeah, that's from a, uh, uh, it's How Did This Get Made? Uh, that's a separate, um, perhaps lesser known movie podcast made by oh, famous oh, people. Um, the, I forget which movie they were talking about, but yeah, the story about how um, Willem Dafoe, I think Willem Dafoe was in the movie that they were talking about, presumably. Otherwise, this is a great story to bring up anytime. Willem Dafoe on the set of, um, um, oh, Antichrist, mm-hmm. uh, his member was too large, um, described on the pod as confusingly large um, for the shot. And so a member substitute was needed um, because he was too um, substantial. Uh, and yeah, it's a no, nice little, it's a no, nice no, little it's mug. Too big. too big, baby. Imagine your credit, your acting credit being, I was once Willem Dafoe's penis. I'm not, I, uh, I'm sorry if it, I took it, it off I think it's, I, I think it's, I think it's rather interesting that Cody got Harry a Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3, I believe, movie poster, thereby kind of representing his love for Willem Dafoe. But Harry's not going along with us on this, uh, on this nomination. One point of order, Your Honor, point of fact, uh, you had said that congratulations to Harry for winning, quote, that one uh, trivia contest, uh-huh. unquote. Yeah. But as, as established in the episode 89, mm-hmm. Invisible Man, that was not simply winning that one oh. uh, trivia contest. It was, in fact, winning the year of trivia up to that point, now, wherein I made so many 
right answers before either of you that I came back from being in the hole uh, across other earlier trivia in order to take the crown. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Now, J- Jason, uh, you're a bit more of a level head here. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at this list of episodes, and I don't see those other episodes listed as nominations. So it's kind of like they're not really relevant to what we're talking about right now, which is whether that episode or the Willem to Friend or Willem Dafoe segment should win, right? So I, I don't know. It seems well, to be yeah. like representative indeed, of we, Cody's indeed, notes. Indeed, we, we must put on blinders a little bit and stick ourselves specifically to these five um, nominees. Uh, Harry, would you like to, if there's a conflict of interest, we can also remove you from voting. I mean, we can just, uh, we can just do a vote right now. Is everybody going to vote? Is everybody good on a vote? There is no democracy here. This is a sham. I'm Listen, ready to vote. It's Willem Dafoe. Okay, I'm just going to bold this. I'm just going to bold it. Ooh, it's, it's Willem, Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. I will be revenged, but you're correct. That was From- the best segment. Uh, all of the segments were great. This is something of a misnomer. You can't have best when they're all the best. That's Cody true. is the best. Cody's noties is the best. Hey. Uh, but Willem Dafoe or Willem Dafriend was uh, the best. Was the best. The best, you don't, the best. Do, you, do you know what my favorite Cody's notie is? It's the next one. Always the next one. Thank you so much, Cody, for making our episodes uh, more fun, more interactive, and just even more of a joy to make uh, and to review. I get to edit these before they go live, and uh, and I, I I never have anything to pull out of those segments. Um, so yeah, that leaves us. Re- really, really quick. Um, that was difficult to sit through for really good ways uh, <laughs> and good reasons. Um, thank you for the kind words. Uh, if you're listening, um, I've already got some things in mind as far as noties for the year 2021. Um, better, better year, hopefully in general, um, and hopefully uh, better as far as noties go as well. Um, so Holy thank you shit. for listening in. Um, that was like James Bond. Cody's noties will return. <laughs> <laughs> better than being an Avengers movie. Um, yeah, I'll take James Bond. Ooh. Okay, so our next segment is going to be introduced by. Whoa, wait, wait! I'm opening an envelope right now, and it's it's Cody. What? Yes. Hi, it's me back again. Um, maybe. Uh, so for the past two odd hours, you have been listening to to four certifiable kings. Um, we are not, however, the the king. <laughs> um we are not uh the king uh the king or kings of the trilon um that's not us uh but that's what this next category will address uh the king of the trilon of the year of our lord and savior 2020 ad um the nominees that we have here um are roy scheider i'm just gonna list them without any annotations roy scheider vincent price chow yun fat alec guinness willem dafoe um and a special honorary nominee um Harry What's Dean. that music? By God, it's Harry Dean Stanton's music. Harry Dean Stanton's music out here. Here it comes to the folk Harry Dean Stanton's music is just like a twangy guitar. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's his, yeah, that's right. his intro music. He calmly walks on stage. Yeah, I, I see that. No, that that is a bit. Harry Dean Stanton. Sorry, it's, 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 a, any... it's a wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful. Um song that he sings in spanish because he has a remarkably beautiful singing voice and is also fluent in spanish as he demonstrates on many many of his movies including lucky his final film everybody check it out so do we do we vote here uh, uh do we rem- i think we just i think we just decided it right it's 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 harry d no it's HDS. okay so we i'm just gonna actually delete harry dean stanton from this list so i'm not confused <laughs> it is throwing me for a loop. uh i vote i vote mr roy scheider because I kept, okay. mispronoun- kept mispronouncing his name as Schneider throughout the, the episodes. And I, I feel like I always feel bad. Yeah. You showed your love for Roy Scheider by saying Schneider over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I felt like his name wasn't long enough to encapsulate like his eminence. I wanted. Are you to make sure, sure this that... isn't like your guilt coming coming up and and making you vote for him as the no? King it's of it's Thailand. it's ten thousand percent that. Uh, dude, a big percentage, by the way. I think it's worth pointing out that Vincent Price, Alec Guinness, and Willem Dafoe were all, I think, only in one movie that we all saw. I believe Vincent Price was in one other film. I think Alec Guinness was in... Uh, I'll refute that. Alec Guinness was in most... He was not in all of the Ealing Studios movies that we talked about it. Uh, talked about he was in all but maybe like one, maybe two. I think I feel like he was in at least two or three Um uh, the top two for me are Scheider and Guinness. Um, Scheider for <laughs> some of the reasons uh, Jason laid out. Uh, Guinness for some of the reasons that I just laid out. Um, that's kind of where my hi- hierarchy is at. Oh wow, interesting. Uh, it's it's Wu or it's um, Chow Yun Fat for me from yeah, the I was gonna say, movies. For um, Chow Yun Fat. I think Chow Yun Fat yeah. is the coolest person alive. <laughs> Maybe, uh, and like I think about the a better tomorrow um, image of him using a counterfeit bill to light a cigar, like or a cigarette, like constantly. Um, I think that like he is John Woo's sort of muse, pretty clearly. Um, I don't know, man. I think he's he's one of the best there is, and we saw a bunch of movies that he was in, and uh, I didn't like the Ealing comedies that much. <laughs> tbh um and m- much love to roy scheider but we didn't watch jaws uh this year at the trial on so uh he played a supporting role in um french the connection french, and he yeah. was out of it for most of it and he looks just like my dad which nets him some points he's not but, out of it for most of it in the french connection come on <laughs> he's a <laughs> integral part of that film and what about sorcerer he he's the dude you know you're what right, i mean you're right you're he's the titular sorcerer yeah, he, 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 is, he is the sorcerer. He is the sorcerer. Um, yeah, I. That's a really good point. I just completely had my blinders on for considering Chow Yun Fat, who was in a similar proportion of movies within the Wu theme as Guinness was uh, for the Ealing Studios theme, which, as Harry alluded to, and as you may remember for previous episodes, we didn't particularly love any of those movies where we loved most if not all of the Wu movies that we recorded on um Chow Yun-Fat seems like a pretty good candidate for this I will I say deliberation. Chow Yun-Fat we we loved him in The Killer the other Wu movies he were in were not necessarily the top of the heap though am I wrong Hard Boiled is generally considered uh one of Wu's most iconic uh but you're not wrong in the sense that I don't love that movie um, and a better tomorrow is kind of a mess in my opinion. You're right. Um, but Chow Yun Fat is not a mess in either of those movies. He rules. Why didn't Why didn't we consider Jean Claude Van Damme for for this category for his role in Hard Target? <laughs> or Jean Claude Van Damme's hair, maybe specifically? Could we just yeah. Are we? Is it? Are we? Are we? Are we substituting? Are we? No, uh, we can't. We can't. We can't. No, this is a good list. I mean. I, I would, yeah, I'm going to go Chow Yun Fat. Okay, so we've got two for Chow Yun Fat. Where's you? Where are you, Cody? Chow Yun Fat. Uh, oh, me. okay. All right, we'll make it a sweep. It is Chow Yun Fat. Did you have anybody else in mind? I, I can't tell if that was dejected or not, that tone. Yeah, it was, it I was only slightly dejected, but but I feel like Roy Scheider is turning around in his grave for how Scheider's number two. many times I mispronounced his last name, but um, <laughs> I hope he's used to that. We could consider him for the 7-Ups from uh, last year. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> his favorite film, the 7-Ups. 
Everybody's hey, favorite from the center. looks fucking unbelievable in a leather jacket. That's what I'll say for yeah, Roy Scheider. Nobody yeah. has ever looked that cool in a leather jacket. I say that as somebody who wears a leather jacket. It's not real leather, everybody. It's synthetic. Oh, uh, okay. I think I'm introducing the next one, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you better be wearing real leather as you uh, head on stage to introduce this next category, uh, cosmically linked perhaps with the category that we just uh, talked through. Yeah, Maybe. check it out. It's the queen of the trilon. Makes sense, right? Totally. Um, so the nominees are Barbara Stanwyck uh, from the Stanwyck series, uh, Marlene Clark from Ganjin Hess, uh, Julia Stiles, or wow, I skipped one, but Julia Stiles from 10 Things I Hate About You. She was also an O, but we didn't uh, record on that one. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis from A Fish Called Wanda. She has a fan fantastic performance in that and savage from detour the first time detours come up because it was one we recorded very early uh in the year before we knew any of this was going to happen but and savage in detour uh and finally of course priscilla from priscilla queen of the desert uh the desert bus but she is the queen of the desert she could also be queen of the trilon if i have my druthers therefore let's talk about it fellas who's the queen of the trilon i'll go first since i'm at the top of the zancaster window I am going to vote for Barbara Stanwyck of the Stanwyck series. I think that uh, we saw a good range of her acting across multiple films in that series. I feel like we saw some of her best work, and I think that she was even the best part of a few of the movies that she was in, uh, which is a sign of a queen, if any, I know. That's me. That's my that's my vote. Jason's takeies. Um I'm torn at the moment uh, between two, I think, ostensibly different candidates um, as far as what their pedigrees are for this, um, Barbara Stanwyck and Marlene Clark. Marlene Clark for being in the uh, the one movie that we have talked about a shitload this year, Ganja and Hess, um, her being uh, one of the best, maybe the best part of that movie. Um, but uh, on the other side, I Jason's to Jason's point of Barbara Stanwyck, I think elevated every single movie that we watched of hers that she was in um, made some of them even watchable period. Um, it's hard to refute the effect that her presence has on the watchability of the the films that she uh, is in. So I don't know. I'm a little stuck right now. Um, again, very different candidates with different um, kind of qualifications for the title of Trilong Queen. But um, what do y'all think? Uh, yeah, I'll say that the, uh, I think that the three that I am good kind of given a thumbs up to, but, but not honoring here. I think that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is easily the best part of a fish called Wanda probably. Yeah. Um, I, I also saw, yeah, I, I saw freaky Friday this year too, which is not a great movie, but I think that her performance in that is like re- really, really good. Yes. Freaky Friday uh, is a great movie. Jamie, well, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, is a, She's great. Uh, I just don't think that that her work in Trilon films this year uh, is is kind of good enough. Uh, I think we, with- we could say like maybe one of the the best and most undervalued comedic actresses ever. Yeah, maybe for sure. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. Um, I think she kind of gets her props, but yeah, she should be considered uh, in that in that conversation. Um, Julia Stiles uh, is great in Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, not that great, though. Uh, I like that movie, but I, I wouldn't consider it. Uh, same thing with Anne Savage, who I think is very good in Detour. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that kind of the, the question here, uh, leaving aside Priscilla, uh, Queen of the Desert, is whether uh, I go for Stanwyck just due to the volume of uh, performances in, in films uh, at the trial on this year, or do I go with Marlene Clark, who I think actually had the best performance uh, on this list? Like, I think specifically the monologue in Ganjin Hess, uh, that scene is really incredible. Um, you know, Barbara Stanwyck is a more kind of uh, uh, famous actress, but I think I prefer Marlene Clark's work in Ganja in Hess over any of the Stanwyck stuff that we saw this year. I would go with Marlene Clark personally. I, I think Aaron echoed my sentiments exactly. Um, I think that the Ganja in Hess monologue that she gives is like one of the great film monologues maybe ever. Um, that performance is just really unbelievable. Um, I know that like we keep talking about Ganjin Hess. You should see that movie if you haven't yet. I don't know why you wouldn't have. Uh, I mean, it's tough. Um, yeah, it's tough because Barbara Stanwyck's been in a bunch. Uh, she's great. Um, we all simp for Barbara Stanwyck. I think Griffin's fan of Stanwyck. That's what she, I was going to say. Griffin put it best when he oh, said, we have no choice but to Stanwyck. Uh, I funny with that. the way I worded it, too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that, that came after the the Cody's notey about uh, that that same joke. But uh, shout out to Griffin. He Right. Shout outs. Yeah. Um, no, nobody listened to, <laughs> listens to this podcast. Everybody should view Griffin Filipich on Letterboxd. He uh, is a good person to follow. But here's a here's a thing. Let's uh let's get down and dirty. I'm 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 going there. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck, she's a fucking objectivist. All right, she yeah, uh, life, life she likes Anne Rand. Who does that? Loves Anne Rand. Wrote her fan letters. She was a bootstrap bootstrapper, famously. Can we uh, do we have to separate the art from the artist? Is the question Gary is bringing up? Right, that's exactly have. right. Marlene Clark, by all oh, accounts, a wonderful woman, a wonderful actress. Uh. Friends with Sam Wayman. Do do we want to honor someone like Barbara Stanwyck? Who, no, that's, no one's denying she had great performances this year. No one's denying that. This is what I'm saying, but 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 this is like we can't be like like the Oscars where we're just going to ignore the the problematic elements of of certain film aficionados because they've made work that that engages <laughs> with us. This is dirty, man. You're, this is dirty. I, there needs we're at a split vote right now. We have to. I got to put my foot on the scale. Right? I, I, I feel like we could have influenced them to go for Marlene Clark, regardless. But I don't know. I'm already on board with Marlene Clark. Oh well, then I'm tarnishing this dead woman's name, calling her an objective. I mean, she wasn't. Uh, she's a phenomenal actress. Uh, the best part of many of the movies we watched. Um, really, really, really pretty. Uh, like distractingly pretty, I think, uh, maybe. Um, I'm going to shut up. Uh, Good points all around. Uh, One thing that I've kind of made myself start to consciously uh, confront and reconcile is that um, a lot of people in this world have done some pretty bad shit and have pretty shitty opinions. Um, A lot of people also haven't done that. So if there's a problematic artist uh, that you find yourself previously having been drawn toward and you're having trouble reconciling the fact that, oh no, uh, Barbara Stanwyck or person X is an objectivist and is um, a, an evil person. Guess what? There are 
thousands upon millions of other artists out there that you can support, uh, like Marlene Clark, uh, one, one such artist that I would be very comfortable recognizing uh, for this particular. Well, award. unfortunately, Tony. we are we are mainly talking about uh, uh, specifically Hollywood movies, uh, and so most of the people you can uh, go to instead are actually terrible in their own regard. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that being said, Marlene Clark, we haven't heard anything bad, so I think we just bowl it real quick. What do you What do you think? Harry, let's just bold it real quick. No, they won't. I think I think we're taking control of this from Jason. Jason's been silent for. Oh my god, it's bold! Oh, Marlene Clark, congratulations! Congratulations for Queen of the Trilon. And there ain't no replacing Jason. Aw, you. That is true. You liberals made this a purity test. Nobody can win, so yeah, (laughs) why not? Uh, we're on to our last category, uh, and speaking of no replacing Jason, there's no replacing Jason as the producer of our podcast, as the editor of our podcast, Ow. as the sort of leader of our podcast, if you will. Uh, none of this would be possible without him, which is, I think, why it's only appropriate that he uh, MC our final um, category of the evening. Jason, will you take us away, my man? I will, Harry. Thank you so much for that darling introduction. This next segment is for the best picture, the absolute best film that uh, that played at the Trilon, but we also had to have recorded on it. So these are Trilon movies that we did record on, and we're going to discuss the best of them. Maybe we'll discuss the best of them. We're starting with Hard Target. We're going to Ganja. I, I kind of want to just hear what it sounds like to, for everybody to do a drum roll just on whatever hard surface is near them. I want everybody to go on mic and just make the horriblest noise you can. All right. Okay, you can stop. That was a mess. We'll, I'll have you do it between each one. Ganja and Hess. Now you do it again. All right. I hate this. You just read. Yeah, I'll just read. My family is dying. We have the seventh seventh seal. (laughs) Ricola, the seventh seal. To live and die in LA, son of the white mare, a fish called Wanda, the killer, sorcerer, after hours, and double indemnity. Those are the ones that came in before the cutoff mid December. Excuse me. So, do we have meaningful objections to the one that I think we're all leaning toward. Is there a discussion to be made? I didn't know we were all leaning. We have to do what we did last year, which is knock them off one by one Highlander style until there remains only one, right? I was going to say Survivor, but Highlander's good too. All right. Either way. I I think we could feel comfortable ditching a fish called Wanda. I think if we were to Hmm. maybe... Take that one off the list. I don't think there would be any objections. Maybe you want there to be. Unfortunately, I like that movie uh, pretty well, um, but I think that uh, I'm happy getting rid of it personally. I can live with that. Cody, sure. Um, general disclaimer: There's not a movie here that I dislike. I think we had. Uh, I think we made some great picks here for these nominations. Um, I see there's some drama going on in the shared document. Hard target seems to be getting crossed. It was an target. accident. It was an accident. I apologize. Okay, right, oh right, my right, God. Not, it's okay. Not, not okay. to pull back the curtain too much. Um, I would be comfortable uh, ditching double indemnity. Um, again, a, a movie that I think we all liked. Um, we like the artist uh, in the movie, not so much the person, um, <laughs> but for the purposes of, um, kind of scraping away some of the the lesser titles. That's one that Somebody I disagree with. That I don't. 
uh, I like Double Indemnity yeah. a lot. Um, it's not a reflection think, of how good or bad Double Indemnity is. It is a reflection of how good the rest of the playing field is here. That's exactly Correct. right. And yeah. also the fact that... Um, I want him just to be nominated. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I think Jenny had pointed this out. Um, the first half of Double Indemnity is better than the second half. It just yes. is. Yes, so. yes, yes. Also, great sports metaphor from Jason. I think all of us have experienced some really interesting good growth this year. Uh, you wow. mentioned the playing field. I have not grown. All um, right, then we have to decide. With his fiance, his, his belly grew a little bit. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, come on, man! All right, we have. Let's let's go seventh seal next. Or is that too hard? A hard jump. I. It's probably actually the best movie on this list. <laughs> it's also one. Did it was in? Okay, we we can also use our. That's nice that we have our pickies there as a sort of disclaimer. It wasn't Harry's top five. Um, not it. Not in the. The rec- seventh seal is a very good movie. The seventh seal is a very good movie. Um, is it the best picture of the year? Object like, not objective. Tech, I, like yes, but also no. I don't think it is the try love best picture of the year. You know what I mean? We didn't. Oh. We didn't learn. We didn't grow. We didn't experience. You with did it. a no growth when watching the Seventh Seal. Yes, I didn't. I wasn't on that episode. I didn't. I wasn't able to see that one. Uh, I maybe would have been going to bat for it. I really love that movie. It's uh, very very good. I'll rewatch it. I'll listen to the ep that I missed, and then I'll complain about it at next year's Golden Bears. Uh, maybe maybe our, I'm fine. Our, our best tweet of the year possibly also resulted from that movie. Uh, that was when when Cody took um, My Chemical Romance's "Welcome to the Black Parade" and set it to that part when the uh, the people are walking into the village square. Um, and you'd be yeah if you haven't seen well. You would it's be so funny. you would be shocked at how well that matches up. It's I, so I kept wanting to cut it, but it was like, man, this is going for two minutes, and it has not lost a step. It's immaculate. Yeah, um, I what guess about the Tatsuya Nakadai fan cam. That's not better. I, I didn't see the tweet you're referring to. It, uh, it didn't. That one. It. it didn't come. It didn't come in under the wire. So, oh, good point. Yeah. Okay. We'll do best tweet next year. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so wait, are, we're, I think we're, I think we decided to, yeah, we decided to leave seventh seal in, did we? Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's cut. Oh Jesus. This is getting really brutal. Um, let's cut after hours, huh? No, uh, you know, I, I love that movie, but, but I can live with that. Yeah. I, you, you yourself suggested Aaron that it's not top tier Scorsese. Well, um, yeah. Hey, I mean, you know, after hours, here's red beard. Not a lot that uh, I, I don't think I don't love After Hours as much as Red Beard. I think After Hours may be like maybe like my second or third favorite actual movie on this list. But like, yeah, I mean, it's it's not I think just in comparison to Scorsese. Yeah, it's it's not going to hang. But also, yeah, there's better movies in it. We can we can ditch it. I love that episode a lot. I think we dug into that one. Great. Yeah, good. One. Uh, that's a really good episode. Uh, After Hours is a very good movie. I think we had talked about um, Inside Man being a, a perfect like four movie i think that like after hours is scorsese's most perfect four movie in my opinion i would say it's um, perfect four and a half but yeah i, I get where okay, you're going sure. i mean yeah i it turns out scorsese's pretty fucking good at making I movies think I might have given it a four though uh never mind i'm full of yikes, shit yeah yikes you are full uh, of shit a next a good a, i don't know about a good next step but a next step might be splitting up um 
movies on here that are like directors that have more than one movie on this you're, list. You're, so. I know where you're going with this. You don't got to do 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 beat around the fucking bush. Hey, 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 hey. What, what, what stays on the list then? Is, is that what you're asking, Cody? He's trying yeah, to kill to live and die. And he's trying to make sure to live and die in LA does not live. I understand where this is going. This is a conspiracy Look, listen, against my love of that film. Listen, he likes listen, the French connection better. He always had it out for me. Listen. I ever since the French connection was ousted from this list, I have no, I have no, um, getting the metaphor. I, I've, yeah, this is, in this, this is vengeance. This, this is uh, biased. Live and die in LA and uh, sorcerer. Which one stays? Oh, boy. No, live and die in LA. Jason. Ooh, God. Oh man. Fuck. Fuck you. Uh, um, for me, sorcerer stays. I, okay. That, that has emboldened me. I say sorcerer oh. stays. Harry. Oh man, it's tough because like you know the, the thing about living in, in die in LA is it's like it's everything I want Starship Troopers to be and a bunch more. Um, that's a it's a really brilliant movie. Uh, is the thing about to live and die in LA. It's also like I'm so I'm sorry, Aaron. It's like it's really? like a oh man, it's like a technical like experiment in like being caustic and being nihilistic that's right uh, and that makes it really good but it's also like less soulful and less sad uh and i'm you know you know you think, you think sorcerer look in my eyes right now over the internet and tell me that sorcerer is a better movie than to live and die in la i think sorcerer stays my man you, you take that bridge scene out of there come on i'm sorry it's, it's just all right Right. Co- sorry, Coldy. Cody's cold plot uh, may have worked here. Let's cross it off. It's fine. Coldies I'm not a, the best movie we saw this year, but it's fine. Let's just cross it off. I cross it off. Done. To live and die as a nominee. Um, John Woo would be the other uh, director on here with more. Yeah. Than yeah. Hard can I, uh, I think we can. I think we can axe the killer, right? That's what I was going to suggest. I thought you were a bigger fan of it. I was going to suggest that. Yeah. I was I, gonna, yeah, I was going to suggest axing Hard Target, but if everybody's right, on board right, with the killer, right. Hard Target's a strong a argument for number, uh, if not one, then very close in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, right, I mean, it was a joy. I, I remember this one moment that I think was my Letterboxd review, but the, the first time that, um, that the main character, uh, like, he shoot somebody with a shotgun and then like does a cartwheel and like does a one handed cock of his shotgun to make it like, uh, ready to fire again. And when we did that, I think it was me, Aaron, or me, Cody and Jason, we all raised our left hands and did a like fist bump in the, or like, like a fist pump in the movie theater at the exact same time without Fuck, like yeah. coordinating it. It was and beautiful. It was, it was magic. Yeah. It was like <laughs> fellas magic. Uh, okay, so our, magic. <laughs> best fellows magic moment. I really hope we get to have that in 2021. Our remaining nominees are Hard Target, Ganja and Hess, The Seventh Seal, uh, Son of the White Mare, and Sorcerer. What one screams see, I'm disposable? Well, I was going to say, I did not see Son of the White Mare. So does anybody else want to... Does, does anybody who saw that think that that's a contender? That That movie is very special to me. Uh, because I just like, I, I really loved watching it and I feel like I really love showing it to people in the future. I would, I would, I would say that stays till top three, probably. I think it stays. I would, I would be more comfortable, uh, wiping out, um, the seventh seal, I think right I think now. We'll, I think let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's okay. cross that. Look, it's a classic film. It's probably, you know, uh, the best, you know, most famous of these films. 
I think we're fine removing that. Yeah. I mean, if, right. if you don't know that Seventh Seal is is great, we'll tell you, right? Like, it's one of yeah. the often cited as one of the best movies ever made. It earns that. Uh, see it, right? And watch a bunch of other Bergman movies while you're at it. But it's not our movie of the year, baby. It sure if, isn't. If we had that, to remove, not to pit two against each other, but if we had to remove Hard Target or Sorcerer, what would I be would the temperature in the room? Too. Yeah, that's yeah, I feel like, like yucky, those and then Ganja and Hess and Son of the White Mare are kind of the, the the similar categories, I guess, that are being made in my mind here. Right. Boy, Hard Howie. Target was in my top five for the year. Sorcerer was not. Yes. Um, so that's kind of where I am. But I would not. Yeah. I, I, uh, all French connection frustrations aside, if Sorcerer had to stay over Hard Target, I wouldn't be too. My feathers wouldn't be too rust, ru- rustled, ruffled. You get it. Yeah. So. It's weird, right? It's it's all about I'm doing the stupid thing that I kept saying that we shouldn't do, which is that like I'm examining my experience with the movies more closely than the movies themselves, right? There shouldn't be anything outside the text, but that's not how it works on the Golden Berries, baby. So the thing about it is I think we all watched Sorcerer like a month ago um, deep in quarantine uh, when I was depressed and – you know, I think I, I watched it because I knew we were recording about it and it was like, okay, that's the next freaking movie. We're going to do it. It was good. I really enjoyed the conversation, but like we had talked about it already. Hard Target was like one of my favorite experiences of the year. Right. <laughs> so like, I think that, that in terms of like, like joy and enrichment, Hard Target was better for me than Sorcerer. Uh, and I'm going to give it to Hard Target over yeah. Sorcerer. I agree. Yeah, I, I love Sorcerer, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, I was just going to say Sorcerer is on my list of tops for the for the year. And honestly, with that rationale, I could justify removing it from from this content from contention uh, in favor of Hard Target being being top three. Cody, I don't know if I heard any like significant pushback from that. No, no, not at all. I mean, okay. uh, hey, how how could I be upset with a final three of if we were to do? Uh, hard target ganja and hessen son of the white mare those three are in my top five so the french connection uh retribution has has come forth i'm a, <laughs> i'm a happy ass camper wow all right. well here's where uh, it gets okay, so, hard then i know but that being said i just said all that nice stuff about hard target i really think that the final head-to-head here is ganja and hessen son of the white mare i, I think, think that too. i think that those two movies best epitomize what we were doing here with this podcast this year, I think that they're like the two best episodes we did and like kind of the two best movies we watched um, in terms of like repertory cinema and in terms of like preserving and relitigating film history and resurfacing what is meaningful about films. Um, I, I think both of those movies were deeply uh enriching and moving experiences to rediscover uh and i've i've thought about both of them a lot in very different ways right um the whole history of animation on one side the whole history of like black creative marginalization on the other uh those are like like heady uh topics to take on and i'm really glad that we had the opportunity to explore them uh together and with the great guests uh, that we had Sarah, the animator um, extraordinaire on one hand and uh, Sam Wayman himself on the other. Right. So like, I, I don't know, man, like I'm hard pressed to say that, that like, it's, it's not going to be one of those two. I think like, 
I don't know. I don't think that hard target much as I love it makes an argument like that. Are, are we going to let Harry hijack this, this, this deliberation with the same shit he pulled with seven samurai last year? Yes. Yeah, probably we are, but, but wait a minute. It's, <laughs> All right. It's a great point. It's better than the point I'm about to make, but hard target a motorcycle what what are we doing here fellas what are we doing the fucking motorcycle scene on the highway like come on did you have a better time watching a movie this year that is a really good point yeah (laughs) he punches a fucking snake i'm sorry to be like lame like fucking internet dude who's like about action movies but yeah he punches a snake it's great he surfs on that that motorcycle i think he jumps over it i'm being sincere when i say that is that may clinch it for me I you think know what? that is the I, best movie I've watched in... First of all, we saw it in a theater, which I don't mean... Again, outside circumstances, all that. Best picture being removed from circumstances. Hard Target was the most fun I have had in a theater. Probably easily this year. Probably also including last year. Maybe not Maybe not best experience, but most fun I've had in a theater. It's got to be Hard Target for me. You know, I'm deep, I'm yeah. deeply sympathetic. I don't. No. I I still I think it's got to be those two. I the thing is, I'm gonna watch. Well, I'm gonna watch Inside Lewin Davis tonight. After that, I might watch Hard Target. I'm not gonna watch Ganjin Hess or Son of the White Mare. I don't even know. I could watch Son of the White Mare, but I am gonna watch probably Hard Target. So you're you're making a lot of sense to me. Um, but I I gotta go with I. I personally have to go with those as my top two. If you if you had to, if I and this is just hypothetical, but if you had to pitch uh, Ganja and Hess versus Son of the White Mare, which would take it for you? Let's let's well, say we I, remove I, I, one I, I, of those I, I, and then it went up against Hard Target hypothetically. Oh, I see. So, okay, just hypothetical. Um, this is a hypothetical. <laughs> I I think they would both beat Hard Target, man. No, no, no. But but if if they were against each other, which would you pick above? It's Gungeon. Spoilers. I, yeah, I can see the future laid out in front of me. You're uh, the you're the tetract. Of yeah, this the podcast. bells. Yeah, the bells are ringing. They they toll for it's me. They toll for currently. Toll they do. Um, I I am also in camp hard targets the odd man out here um and i say that after you know i like all of us have praised that movie um throughout the last almost three hours jesus um and while that is the movie of these three that i would probably more quickly rewatch, and while that is the like it it had a, a special place in my mind brain as far as memories from this year period go not just movie memories but memories period i I shirk at putting too much weight on in theater experiences this year, just because we had fewer opportunities to do that. Like how would our experience with Ganjan Hess be different if we had seen that at the Trilon with a theater full of people? Um, I don't want to speculate on that too much. I don't know if that's necessarily fair to do Um, hard target uh, shout outs Um, again, really, really special place for me. Um, though for me, it, I, I think the final two comes down to Ganjan Hessen, Son of the White Mare. And I say this knowing full well that this is about where we left off with last year's Golden Berry as far as the Seven Samurai and Cure Camps uh, were concerned. I think Harry and I were pro uh, Seven Samurai and Jason and Aaron were on the yeah, other Jason side. Jason pulled away at the last <laughs> moment. That, that concerns me uh, ever so slightly. I'm just trying to re- not read into that too much for the sake of my sanity. I, I, I second the uh, hard target goes. 
I gotta say, Benedict Arnold ass. I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm the one who's seen Son of the White Mare all the way through this this fucking process. That's real, I, real rough. Can, can we safely remove Hard Target? We'll enjoy it. We'll enjoy it. Aaron's in okay. Chicago. Hard so Target is about a Southern working class man fighting against the the powers that be. It is the film of the blue collar. It is the film of the proletariat. You, okay, all right. And it is right, not on the list anymore. <laughs> hey, so Ganja and Hess, folks. I... I think, I'm, I'm I think this is where this is where Jason and yeah. I our paths diverge. This is, uh, this is gonna this is gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Uh, but we don't have time to make it hurt. Uh, we got to pull off the bandaid at some point. I, I, I don't know whether to dig my heels in or go with what I know is true, what I feel or what I know. Two different things. I'm DMing Sam Lehman right now and telling him that you didn't choose Ganja. <laughs> oh, please, God, no, don't, don't <laughs> give it to Ganja. Please, 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 no. I didn't see Son of the White Mare. I, I think that uh, if we are going to allow the circumstances to come in a little bit, I think that the, the just the whole thing around Ganja and Hess, around recording right. that, speaking to Sam, um, you know, I, that's big for me. I, I didn't see Son of the White Mare, though, so I don't want to, like, stick my foot in here. But Ganja and Hess, I think, is is representative of the year that we had in my mind in a weird right. way. I mean, the thing about it is that, like, the argument that I made a, a minute ago is true of both uh, Son of the White Mare and Ganjin Hess in really like beautiful ways, right? Um, I think that that the difference is, and this is a purely subjective uh, thing. I think that I just simply I am even more moved by the history and legacy of Ganjin Hess than I am by the history and legacy of Son of the White Mare. Um, in many ways, it's similar, right? It's about um, the like justice of history finally coming home. Uh, these are movies that were sort of um, like not ignored, right? Like uh, Ganjin has one can the year it came out, but um, like they were, they were sort of their legacies were lost. Right. And therefore we had a just slightly less complete picture of what uh, the history of, um, filmmaking was for animation or from uh, black history and culture. And both of these movies through their restoration, they give us a little bit more of a piece, which like that's what repertory and revival cinema is all about to me is like helping to, in, in some imperfect way, undo the terrible damage that uh, capitalism and imperialism and colonialism have wrought on human history and existence and will continue to. Um, and I think that both of these movies are emblematic of that. Um, I just think that like with everything that Ganjin Hess is and everything that it's done and everything that we have, uh, have tried to do with it. Um, it's the one it's like, it's absolutely like, that's what the trial on is all about. Uh, and what I hope we can with our, uh, listener base of 60 some friends, uh, can be about right. Um, so there's my, um, big philosophical argument. Also like fucking Ganshin Hess rips, dude. I don't know. It, that's a great, it's a great soundtrack, great performances. Uh, some of the white mare is very good too. Um, but Ganshin Hess is like, like moody, you know? So I, I do know. I do know. Fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. What this podcast is for is exactly like it is. That is a punctuation mark in the, the hopefully long history of what this show is. Uh, and, I got to say, I really enjoyed them. Even if we hadn't gotten to speak to Sam, even if we didn't have this like very close connection to the whole 
overall experience and project, I still feel like Gungeon has has a seat at this table. So I I I can waffle. I can waffle and say that Son of the White Mare can go. Let's let's bold uh let's bold Ganja and Heston, folks. Cody, do you have anything else to say? Nope. Uh uh Harry, you put it pretty well. Um, so I won't belabor the point. Um yeah, I mean best picture twenty twenty is Ganja and Hess. Plain and simple. There we have Ooh. it, folks. Congratulations to all of the winners and all of the nominees. Uh it's as Aaron put it, an honor to be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretentious to say that about your own <laughs> award ceremony. I'm saying, it. I'm saying it. Typically, it's the nominees. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Uh, what do we? Should we go over our winners real quick? Yes, let's do it. Uh, so I'll let each introduct introducer tell the tale of who won this the segment. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, uh, starting with the best trial of in the time of Corona movie, uh, his motorbike Kerr Island won. Cody? Thank you, Aaron. Uh, next up, the trial on event that we're saddest about missing um, is going to the trial on, uh, especially if you were someone who moved to Chicago or some other place. The trial of's best trial on dry run of 2020 was Close Up by Abbas Kirostami. The Rashomani's Award for the movie most egregiously longer than Rashomon 1950, uh, and there were no competitors, is The Andromeda Strain. Trilove's best score of 2020 was, of course, Ganja and Hess by Sam Wayman. The Trilon movie we're saddest about not recording on uh, ended up being Pitfall, Teshigahara's Pitfall. Next up, we've got the best film series of the year at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we awarded that to the series of films directed by John Woo. Followed by the best director of the Trilon at 2020. And we decided to give that to William Friedkin. It is folly to claim that there is a best guest because every guest is the best. But we chose, for the purposes of this show, Sam Wayman as our best guest of 2020. And also, uh, for favorite trial of episode, the Sam Wayman interview episode was our favorite of the year. Our favorite Cody Noti, excuse me, Cody's Noti in 2020 was Willem Friend or Willem Dafoe from episode 94 to Live and Die in L.A. Following that up with the hotly contested King of the Trilon of the year 2020, uh, the winner of that award this year was Chow Yun-Fat. And the Queen of the Trilon was Marlene Clark for her performance in Ganja and Hess. Completing the sweep with Best Picture is Ganja and Hess 1973, directed by Bill Gunn. Galdern, would you look at that? Survey everything we've done. And if you've made it this far, you've won the coveted Best Listener Award. So congratulations to you at home, listener. Congratulations that, to Jason, right. who is proofing this episode from his apartment. <laughs> and will probably be the only one who listens this far. So yeah, congratulations, Ooh. Jason. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you all. Uh, thank you all for making this such a fun project to do. Uh, we haven't mentioned it enough, but thank you again, Aaron, for the Christmas gift. That is two of the actors from a goofy yes. movie wishing us all a happy 100th episode. Uh, and really I, urge amazing. You, I urge you all to listen. If anybody's listening at this point, we'll, we'll make sure you know about it. Uh, episode 100, uh, keep an eye out. That's coming, I believe next week. If the schedule holds, uh, and it's but, very special. 
keep an ear out for it. It is a very special episode and we'll be really glad to hear what everybody thinks about it. Um, but it's coming out regardless. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this very special episode of Try Love, the Golden Berries 2020. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and Trilon.org. Find ways to support them monetarily uh, by going to their shop online, uh, by you know just staying up to date with them, following them on social media, all that stuff that uh, small businesses need you to do to support them. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I am your co-host and one of the presenters of Cody's, excuse me, Cody's Nodies of uh the 2020 golden berries uh and you can find me at nintendoofus i've been cody narvison the actual presenter of cody's noties um i hope to see y'all in the year 2021 um hopefully in person if uh at all possible and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh yeah i've been harry i hope to see all of you at the trilon for real uh that would be a real treat um hopefully Next year is much more normal than this last year was, but I hope you'll keep listening regardless if you listen, uh, which you do if you're hearing this. So uh, thank you so much. Um, Hope to see you again next year. Uh, Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I think this comes out at some point. Um, I'm at Shiitake Harry. Thanks, bye. Yeah, I'm Aaron. Uh, Folks, I can already feel it coming. 2021 is going to be our year. 2020. Not, not our year, 2021, that's the year, trust me on it. You can follow me on Twitter, at RVPlease, although I am currently on hiatus. But, uh, yeah, hope to see you all and talk to you soon. Good night, good luck, fuck you, James Woods. 1791, Mozart composes the magic flute. On December 5th of that same year, Mozart dies. 1985, Austrian rock singer Falco records... Genau das war sein Flair. Er war ein Virtuose, war ein Rocky-Doll und alles ruft noch heute.
wunderbar. Oh, 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 oh. 